The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to the Retro Network Halloween Special for 2022, a collaborative podcast featuring several shows across the network. Each segment will feature a spooky theme to get us in the mood for Halloween. You've got Jason S. Pumpkins here as one of your hosts and uh, resurrected from the dead. Uh, beyond the grave, our, our favorite retro hell spawn. It's Mickey. <laughs> well, are you, man? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Like I used to say all the time, how can people miss you if you never go away? Well, I went away, so I hope people miss me. Yeah, you went away for... <laughs> Quite a while, but man, it's good to hear your voice. Good to be back podcasting with you. And this is a this is kind of your baby tonight. So I'm I'm anxious to get to it, man. This is going to be fun. Well, it's our baby. I'm just doing a little more of the legwork than you. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Uh, but before we get into the show, we just want to remind you that the Retro Network Halloween Special is sponsored by HalloweenCostumes.com, featuring the largest selection of Halloween costumes in the world. You can click the link in the show notes and save 20% off your entire order through Halloween night. Just click over, fill your cart, and then the 20% savings is automatically deducted. And don't forget about the ugly Halloween sweaters they have over there. We love those here at the Retro Network. Mm -hmm. And they have all those available over there as well as the costumes and accessories. Visit HalloweenCostumes.com now and save. All right, well... uh, we're going to get you ready here for some blood curdling topics from the retro network uh, and from shows from the retro network, like wizards, the podcast kind of comics, the house show is making a return box office, 30 two goofs and the greatest lists. And between segments, Mickey and I will be playing some special Halloween editions of retro rumble, but uh, it's kind of like a, like I said, at the top of the show, a, a collaborative effort across the entire network and special little spooky themed uh, segments. Yeah. <clears throat> the first year we've done this year, but my God, it's been two years ago now, mm-hmm. but it, uh, we had the idea of like a anthology type uh, horror movie, or at least I had that idea, uh, several little smaller stories in one larger production. And that's what we've done with our podcast there year before last, everybody just chose to tackle a Halloween spooky subject in their own manner. That's kind of, aligns with their show and uh it was a great success and we're doing it again this year yes cannot wait and then uh for those who might not know what retro rumbles are or haven't gone back to listen to our trn time machine podcast lately uh, what exactly are the retro rumbles so retro rumbles are uh we jason and i have two options uh let's just say uh chocolate versus vanilla And we debate, you know, what our favorite is. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree. We talk about why we feel that way, what our memories are tied to those things. And uh, we just call them retro rumbles. And we've got several Halloween spooky themed rumbles for tonight to fit the season. And we'll be uh, (laughs) dropping those in between the other lengthier segments. We're kind of your uh, host for the evening. You'll hear from us in between all the other segments. And we'll do rumbles throughout this podcast. Sounds great, man. Can't uh, wait to get to those, but uh, are you ready? Let's go ahead and uh, kick off our uh, first segment. 
All right. And uh, you're already hearing Jason here right now. He and Eric uh, with their greatest list podcast. It's the newest podcast on the retro network. And what was it you all done for this? Looking at creepy songs? We were looking at creepy songs, not necessarily your typical Halloween playlist. You know, everybody loves to put like Ghostbusters in there and the Monster Mash and Thriller. We're looking at more of uh, spookier, creepy songs that just uh, could be based on something in reality that was creepy or, you know, these... uh, I don't know, kind of uh, almost true stories that they're telling in the songs. And it was really fun to put this list together. Any selections from Captain Beefheart on that list? No, no Captain Beefheart, unfortunately. Just the name is spooky. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's uh, take you all away. Check out Greatest List, and we'll be back with our first Retro Rumbles right after that. Welcome to a special edition of Greatest Lists for the 2022 Retro Network Halloween Special. This is Jason. I'm here along with my co-host, Eric. In case you're not familiar with Greatest Lists, we started the show earlier this year. Just out of our love for music, Eric, he's a musician over there, has been a a music columnist for a while for the Retro Network. Yep. And uh, my background stems from radio broadcasting. actually have a degree that I've never used, only in kind of recreational purposes and podcasting that's nice. another story but uh we all have a passion for all types of music here so right now we're actually counting down the top 50 80s music soundtrack songs for season one and have sprinkled in a couple bonus shows along the way our top 10 duran duran songs that was fun yep. and a track by track breakdown of Def leopard's hysteria that was, a that was also really yeah. fun yes so, uh, but let's get on to our contribution for the Retro Network Halloween special here. We have curated a special list of creepy songs creepy. that you might not necessarily include on your typical Halloween playlist. Uh, if you listen to our first Kieran Halloween special, Mickey and I actually counted down the top 10 Halloween songs as picked by our Retro Network team. And mostly what you might expect, you know, thriller Somebody's watching me, the Monster Mash, songs like that. Yeah, but our our creepy song list though, it's geared more towards songs that just sound strange, have weird lyrics, uh, an overall feel that just might give you the creeps, you know. So, uh not your traditional Halloween not your traditional playlist. Halloween songs, no. So in my case, and maybe this is the same for you Eric, uh, there's so many hits out there that I really enjoy musically and just never paid attention to the lyrics. And this is the case for the the two songs that I'm picking tonight, but uh, (laughs) I don't know. I was just thinking about that and I get so tuned in. If it's got a, you know, a great guitar riff or just a a powerful song, something you can sing along to. Sometimes you just don't realize what the heck you're singing, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then you realize what are they? What is he what saying? I, there? What am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll get kind of into that uh, with the, some of these songs, but uh, we're going to each pick two songs for the list. And initially thinking about the specialist, I think you hit a home run, man, with this first song. Uh, uh, just yes. so good musically and yet so creepy lyrically. Yes. You know? Yes. Hit us with it, man. 
So my first pick is Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. <laughs> uh, this song came out in August of 94. It just barely broke into the Billboard chart. It hit number 40 for a week, and then it dropped out. Hmm. Um, and so my personal history with this song is I worked with a consultant uh, around the time this song came out, and he lived in Dallas. He was a huge fan of the music scene there, and so he introduced me to several bands from the Dallas scene, and the Toadies were one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but this song is loosely based on a rumor slash urban legend uh, about events that happened around this place called Possum Kingdom Lake, located uh, west of, of of the Dallas Fort Worth metro. Uh, I've actually been there. It's a it's a great <laughs> it's a great lake. It's got cliff cliffs that you can dive off of. It's I mean it's a it's a oh, huge wow. place. It's it's a really nice lake, but. It's full of stories and rumors and sightings. <laughs> I mean, I mean, as soon as we got on the lake on the boat, people were telling sto- ghost stories, and well, you know, we heard that somebody saw this. Apparently, there was a cult that used to meet there, like out in the woods. Um, people have you know, all wow. kinds of sightings out there. Um, but so the 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 song is based on a. a, a uh, urban legend because there are no there's no police reports or no you know actual mm-hmm. actual facts about the story but there's a, a urban legend about a man that was killing women at this lake and that's what the song is about behind the boat house. based on yeah behind the boat house. it's loosely <laughs> based on that interesting and the, re- and the reason i think it's creepy is because of that right there it's it's uh, the lyrics and, and the story being told uh the lead singer todd lewis um, he, he says it's a, there, there's another song on their album called I Burn and uh, that's a creepy song all by itself but we're not going to talk about that one this is supposed to be a, a continuation of that oh uh, really? yeah he, that's what he says um, but in, in telling the story of the song Todd Lewis says uh, in my teens he goes I would go to Possum Kingdom Lake because my family had land out there and it was just a really cool and creepy and just a really kind of an interesting place. It has names of places out there like Hell's Gate and Devil's Island hmm. um, and all these weird names for things. It just kind of lent itself to the storytelling. Uh, so he, he claims that his song is, is, is completely made up and it's not based on actual events. And like I said, there's no actual like police reports or investigation <laughs> of a guy that killed uh, you know, women out there. But uh, it's just that... that Besides the lyrics, the music is kind of dark and kind of droning. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, there's a buildup at the end of the song where he just starts screaming, do you want to die? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was playing it for my wife earlier. She asked what songs I picked, and I told her this one. She goes, I don't think I've ever heard that. I go, if you heard the end of it, you would know it. And so I played it for her, and she was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. a lot of these songs. You've probably heard them before, just don't yes. know who sings them or with the names yeah. of the songs, but had you heard this song before? Oh yeah. I had okay, most yeah. definitely discovered this song on the uh, alternative radio station, 99 X when I lived in oh, nice. the Atlanta area yeah. in the late nineties, early two thousands. I don't think the station exists anymore. And it might've changed format or something, but anyway, it really planted me into like the alternative music scene. And I discovered uh, so much music through that radio station. Nice. So it's, Funny, I, I kind of feel like I have different eras of music I was listening to for years at a time. So say around like 95, 96 through the early 2000s, like 2001, yeah. I rarely listened to anything else besides like rock and alternative rock. 
And so this song always caught my ear when it came on. And then I've just had it now in my personal mix of songs since then. Yeah. Uh, It is very creepy. Just the way it starts the guitar riff only, and it's only in the right speaker. And you have this echo effect on his vocal and the way he sings too. I mean, that just the way. And the way, yes, absolutely. The way he sings sings. really kind of, it's, it's borderline just, disturbing just because it seems yeah, so yeah so slimy and just kind of if you just, watch the music video there's like a it looks like a special kind of microphone they're using or a different microphone to make him yeah. more hollow more uh, uh yeah. muted yeah but lots of wah-wah on the guitar he gives it that menacing sound yes. you know yeah. distorted it's, notes and uh, you got to give the singer some credit though, because he tells you right up front he's not going to lie. You know, he's... <laughs> but That's when the funny. the lead guitar comes in, it's in the left speaker matching the right. It's so powerful. Yeah. But the lyrics, it's, they're just creepy as hell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and but what I mean, what makes it even creepier for me is I went to Possum Kingdom Lake before this song came out, mm-hmm. and people told this story. <laughs> I mean, this was one of the ghosts, like they would either tell ghost stories or, you know, and this was the story it was like, well, there was a, there's a, there's a, 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 the legend of this guy that would bring women out here on dates and they would, he would walk them, they'd walk on the lake and he, he would murder them behind the boathouse and sink them down underneath the boathouse, their bodies. <laughs> yeah. So then Have I you watched the, the music video? Yes. Yeah. And so when I hear the song, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, well, in the music video, they've got like uh, this round mat, tarp, whatever they're tying up, you know, and just yeah. kind of floating out in the lake. Yep. In certain like little break-in scenes, it's it's very creepy. It's very creepy. So. Musically, I just I love the break in the song so much. You get that extended guitar note, and that just goes right into the break, and then you get that like two-step rhythm with the drums and then it goes right into that churning bass and then the bass the bass comes in yeah almost like a jaws like rhythm yeah i mean it's like a real slow like jaws yeah almost it's just a creepy uh, song but it builds and then you just get all those do you want to dies at the yeah. end yeah and whew, man what yeah. a song what so, a song that's my that's my first pick for creepy songs um very good what's your yeah. first pick so my first pick uh I'm not going back to my freshman year. I'm going back to my sophomore year in college. So my song pick is The Freshman by The Verve Pipe. That song Uh, has always bothered me. (laughs) Came out in January 1997. Like I said, it was my sophomore year in college. So kind of close to reality there. It was a huge hit, certified Mm -hmm. gold single, and actually made them a one-hit wonder, at least on the pop chart, where it reached number five. They've had other singles that have charted on the alternative chart, but this is basically their only hit uh, across the board. So when I first started hearing the song on the radio and kind of listening to the lyrics, I was, it was almost like hearing a confession, you know? Yes. uh, Is this what college is all about? You go out to a party, (laughs) something happens and you cover it up, you know, or something like that. Um. But I it caught my ear. I went out and bought the CD single, which I still have, nice. and it has three different versions on it, which includes really? a it includes a pop mix and a studio D mix, which is more of an acoustic version, which I I, I actually enjoy. That. I think I've heard the acoustic. Yeah, version you you yeah. probably have. Um, 
that version of the song it was playing on ac stations adult contemporary stations which is probably why it charted so high because you're having yeah. the alternative stations playing it you're having the uh, ac play, uh, stations playing it as well so uh the, the cd single i always associate when i hear the freshman uh, also had an album track on it called ominous man which i actually prefer and, and enjoy more than freshman but oh, wow. uh I've never gone back and heard the entire album, which is called Villains, uh, that both tracks are on. So that's kind of my personal history with the song. Why it's creepy, uh, the lyrics and the story that's being told, according to the band, uh, has a lot of poetic license in there. It was loosely based on the lead singer's situation where a girlfriend got pregnant and then got an abortion. But uh, the part where she's taking a week's worth of volume, I guess, is the poetic license, you I know. Um, guilt stricken sobbing with my head on the floor. You know, that's repeated several times. Yeah. Uh, he talks about won't be held responsible. Uh, talks about his friend taking a week's vacation to forget her. Essentially washing his hands of the, of whole, the situation. whole situation. Yeah. yeah. Just because, yeah. hey, we're freshmen. Yeah. <laughs> you know pretty pretty creepy for the mega hit that it yeah. was yeah i mean you know? i remember it being a big song but the lyrics always kind of bothered me i mean i was just like what <laughs> what what are you confessing to here dude yeah musically really somber you've got really dark chords and tones his vocal style goes from real softer almost whispering and then screaming you know to, yeah. during the bridge with those hey yas you yeah. know and he just goes into that whole routine. The album cut, uh, it's got this like background guitar lick with the three chords that kind of go back and forth, almost like an alarm. Right. Yeah. Um, so the uh the the AC version, it's so more mellowed out and uh more more or less uh, more of a ballad than it I is. Think it, I think it fits the song cut. better than the album I, cut. It does. probably does. Yeah. Um but the album cut I like because you get the heavier guitars and and those tones more than just that kind of mellowed out version. But right, right, yeah, always just kind of creep me out the yeah. song, but creep me <laughs> out agree. to the point that I went out and bought the damn thing. So <laughs> you know, oh well. Nice. So that's nice. my first pick. Well, my uh, second pick uh, was is is uh, "Please, Mister Gravedigger" by David Bowie. Um, <laughs> It's and it's you know it's a little it's a little un, probably an unknown song by anybody that's ever listened to David Bowie. Um, the song I'm holding is, up my hand. <laughs> <laughs> the final the song is the final track on David Bowie's debut album in 1967. It's it's a two minute and 36 second spoken word track. It's about a child murderer who confesses his crime to the graveyard keeper, then plots to kill the graveyard keeper. Um, it was never released as a single, and in fact, several people tried to talk Bowie out of adding it to the album, but were unsuccessful, and he added it on the, at the very end. Um, I found this song basically by accident. I mentioned to someone several years ago that Bowie fell into a category that I call Rolling Stone artists, um, and what I mean by that is it's individuals or groups that people say they like to listen to, <laughs> but they don't really listen to. <laughs> Um, it's just the it's just that's the, true yeah you know you don't, you know what i'm talking about yeah so uh this person claimed to like david bowie uh, listen to david bowie and so she made it her um she, she took offense to that so she made it her mission to convince me otherwise and she made me a bowie playlist um 
this wasn't on the playlist, but while I was listening, trying to listening, listen to the playlist, I went looking at some of his albums on Spotify and just spotted this track. And the lyrics are just straight creepy. I'm not going to, I mean, I can't, I can't recite them, but if you go out, you can just look up the song title and find the lyrics on, on, on Google. Uh, they're based on the Moors murderers of Northwest England. Um, child killers Ian Brady and Myra Henley were convicted in May of 1966 in a, in a case that gripped, that gripped England. Uh, one of their victims was 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey, and she was the same age as Bowie's fictional Marianne character in the song. Um, and like I said, the lyrics are just straight creepy and are borderline just wrong. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be honest. Um, but it's just the way he's... What also makes it creepy is just the way he speaks during the, yeah. during the spoken word. Um, and then he has sound, he has sound effects behind him. A storm, there's rain, there's yep. some other sound effects. It's just a really creepy sounding song. And it's not, I mean, creepy sounding track. It's not really a song. Um, and there used to be, uh, and so, so of course there was no video for, for the song, but he performed a mime to this, to this track on a German television show, like in 1968, I think. Really? It used to be available online. I looked for it this afternoon. I couldn't find it, but I have seen it, and it's straight creepy as well. I mean, I, I, hmm. it's watching David Bowie mime to this track is just <laughs> it'll, it'll just it'll just haunt your dreams. Don't I mean you don't you don't need to go look for it, but uh, yeah, it's just everything about this track is wrong and it's creepy. So that's why Would I agree. It. Yeah, <laughs> did you did you listen to it? I did. So yeah, yeah, this is the first time I've ever heard it. Yeah. I, I would be a total one of those posers uh, if I said I, you know, I have enjoyed David Bowie's entire yeah. catalog. Catalog, no. Seventies uh, and eighties is my sweet spot for David Bowie. Yeah. But I had never heard it before. But pretty much right away, yeah, you get the creep factor. You hear the bell tolling, yes. the squishy footsteps, the thunderstorm in the background. Just very strange, almost like. He recorded a clip from a movie. Yes, you know that's what uh, it sounds like because yeah. it's he's 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 not singing, but he's, it's he's almost acting. like you're you're and eavesdropping on the guy. Yes, who's digging a grave or something out there in in the cemetery, and and you're kind of eavesdropping on what he's saying. Yeah. So it's just this little ditty. Yeah, while he's working or and he's sneezing, and <laughs> I mean it's. I remember the first time I, I mean, when I still so it and I just listened to it, I was like, what the hell am I listening to? <laughs> what yeah. is wrong with this? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sitting there listening, waiting for like a shriek or something to come in, you know, <laughs> nope. but no, no, no surprises there. Yeah. You know, you remember those, uh, those videos people used to send on your computer that you'd be here, get close to your screen and watch and this. And then, boom. Yeah. yeah. That's what you're waiting. That's on. what I was Never waiting happened. for. Yeah. So those have ruined me forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What's your second pick? Okay, so my second pick, uh, definitely my favorite of the two. It's a, a song by the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> I just yes. love saying that. Uh, called Pepper. Um, <laughs> some strange happenings in Texas with this song. Uh, Pepper <laughs> is most commercially. It's the most commercially successful song for the band, Texas-based rock band, actually. Yep. Uh, reached number one on the alternative chart in 1996 from the album Electric Larry Land. 
Uh, some people actually might know another song from that album called The Lord is a Monkey <laughs> because it was featured uh, in two films, Beavis and Butthead Do America and oh. then Black Sheep with Chris Farley and David Spade. That's actually a great song. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I probably heard Pepper again for the first time on this alternative station, 99X in Atlanta in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, just again, it caught my ear, and I've always had it in my mixes since then. I actually keep a couple thumb drives in my my truck, so that's if I'm funny. I want to put on my favorites, I just throw yeah. it in there. That's <laughs> that's one of them. Well, I have to confess, um, I didn't know until you told me that this was a by the Butthole Surfers, and B the title of the song was Pepper. I had no idea. <laughs> I knew the song. I've known it forever, but I just I had no idea of either one of those things. Yeah. It, it, it's just again one of those tracks you've heard just don't know who it's from or yep. or what the name is yep. uh the lyrics are just insane it talks about this group <laughs> of kids who are losing limbs thanks to trains uh getting stabbed and shot the courts course itself itself is just creepy saying i can taste you on my lips and smell you in my clothes you know <laughs> um just really dark guitar chords the lead singer's vocals too, very monotone, almost yeah. hypnotizing like, and that vocal is there in the background. Even when he's singing high, he's got that real monotone yeah. uh, it's, to it's match it. Creepy, yeah. The lyrics in the bridge they're played backwards, so that if you hear that backwards, it's actually that main uh, chorus line that they're playing backwards again right. for the bridge, and then. Everything but the drums drop out in the third verse, uh, and you get that wind sound effect that comes in. That's so cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. But damn, the guitar work is so great <laughs> on this. It is so great. That's what it's always captured me. Yeah. Listening to the guitars, the, the lyrics, I'm just like, okay, this is some weird stuff, and I'll just let it pass by my ear, but I'm listening for the music work in this. The solos are so great during the song, but that one at the... Uh, just at the end, the very end, fantastic. Yeah. And the two times that the beat drops, you got that one, they just, they power back in. There's one, it's a short solo, but he holds out that last guitar chord. It actually fluctuates between both back ears forth, when you're listening right. to. Yeah. And then boom, gets heavy. It's, it's like a heavier version of Beck's Loser. That's yeah, the best way to that. describe yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. That's a, that's, um, that's a good description. But the, just so so crazy and weird and creepy. I love the song. <laughs> what do you what, what do you think about it? I it's like I said, I had I did not till today realize that that was the Butthole Surfers or that that <clears throat> song was called Pepper. Um, I but I've always liked it. I've always mm -hmm. liked the song. Um, just the the sonics of it have been it's probably my favorite. I like that. That, that little that little part in the middle where the wind is blowing and that's all you hear. Yeah, uh, I love that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a it's sonically it's just a great song. Uh, I agree. the <laughs> The lyrics are weird and kind of creepy. They're all. I mean, what's going on in Texas? I mean, between the, to <laughs> the, the toadies and yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there's some uh, stuff going down some, in there's Texas. Some weird man. stuff going on in Texas. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've 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 always been a fan of the song. I just did. Apparently, I just didn't know who it was. So, 
Well, that's going to do it for our lists and our contribution here to the TRN Halloween special. Go out and check these out. Uh, search them out on YouTube, Spotify, you know, wherever you get your music. And uh, tell us what you think of our picks. So, again, my picks were The Freshman by The Verb Pipe and Pepper by The Butthole Surfers. Eric came right in with The, the Possum Kingdom by The Toadies. And then David Bowie, please, Mr. Gravedigger. Go listen to those songs. See if you want to add those or, or do you have them in your Halloween playlist? Would love to hear that as well. We're over on Twitter at Greatest Lists. You can find us there and uh, tell us what you think. This was fun, man. Putting together yeah. a little list for Halloween. So Out of the ordinary. <laughs> we'll say happy Halloween to everybody and uh, go out and creep some people out with this great music. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that greatest list segment there, and uh, it's time to start rumbling. Well, our first Halloween-themed retro rumble. And these, by the way, folks, I have seen them because I have to to announce what they are. Jason, I think, has seen some of the ideas. All of our retro rumbles tonight were uh, provided by other people in the retro network, our family and friends in the network. Mm -hmm. They all gave us suggestions and uh, everybody is represented here. Awesome. So our first retro rumble is from our great friend, Karen Flieger. She wants to know if we prefer Frankenstein or Dracula. Hmm. Um, I, I, I'm leaning towards Dracula on this one. And I'm thinking more classic Dracula, you know, like Christopher Lee and, uh, those type movies, I got into those really for the first time last uh, last Halloween and started watching a bunch over there on HBO Max and really, really enjoyed those. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to lean towards Dracula on this one. Well, I've read both of the original books, and I call those a push. Okay. Uh, the Hammer horror films like you're talking about, uh, I'm a, also a big Christopher Lee as Dracula fan. Um, just as a concept, though, I like Frankenstein more than Dracula, the whole Frankenstein monster. Because, you know, I'm somebody that works with my hands. I build a lot of stuff. I make a lot of stuff. Maybe okay. there's some kind of subconscious, you know, yeah, thing yeah, yeah. where I identify with Frankenstein more. And I just think Frankenstein looks cooler. There's more you can do visually with Frankenstein. Although Dracula, you can uh, do a whole lot more from a fashionable sense with Dracula. But, right, right. Uh, Pushed against the wall, I'm picking Frankenstein. Okay, fair enough. Um, our next one, this was our good friend Adam, who you'll hear coming up next. Plastic fangs versus wax teeth. <laughs> and I'll start this. Okay. Uh, something about the wax candies, the wax teeth, the wax bottles, all that stuff. I, the wax just, it didn't gross me out. It just, I didn't care for the waxiness. Uh, mm -hmm. At the same time, plastic fangs made me feel like I was choking. But more times than not, I went with the plastic fangs around Halloween. Yeah, I'll lean towards that as well. The wax stuff, if you, you know, used it as you were supposed to, the whip, the wax lips and the fangs and things, you eventually kind of bit through it and then you're 
just done with it. Whereas the plastic one's a little bit more durable, even though they usually didn't fit well, you know, in your <laughs> mouth. But uh, I, don't, I, I seem to remember they doing like uh, fake blood on the plastic ones at some point and maybe even glow yeah. in the dark or something, you know? Yeah. I don't I know. That's kind of sticking in my head that uh, they did some other special things other than just the, you know, regular white ones that you'd find. But yeah, I'll, I'll lean towards the plastic ones too. What do you do with the wax? You don't eat it. You do, no. It's hard to chew on it. Even those like little wax bottles, they didn't taste very good. So, no, most people I knew would would bite the top off the bottle, drink what little bit of liquid was inside of it, and then just chew the bottle to death to get every every last little bit out, yeah, drop out, and then and, spit it out, yeah, yeah. That was never for me. I couldn't do that. <laughs> well, that, that was, was uh, provided by our good friend Adam, and then our next segment, Wizards: A Podcast Guide to Comics. Um, there was an issue of wizard magazine that featured Halloween stories, nostalgic stories from, uh, celebrity comics creators. So Adam and Michael will be reviewing those in our next segment. So check it out. Happy Halloween, ghouls and geeks, fools and freaks, uh, chickens with beaks. <laughs> yeah, we're just getting into the Halloween spirit over here on Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. I'm Adam. And I'm Michael. And we are excited to be back again for another year of the Retro Network Halloween special. You know, a lot of superheroes and comic book inspired costumes you see walking around your neighborhood, definitely this time of year, asking for candy. But you know, in Wizard Magazine itself, Halloween was always a big, big event because they would do their annual Halloween costume contest where the readers would actually send in their cosplay of various comic book characters, the more obscure the better as far as the wizard staff was concerned and uh, it's one of those things that we actually like to cover every year as well so that is something you can look forward to on our wizards podcast youtube channel we will be doing a youtube video where we'll show the costumes from that year and then we'll be giving our critiques and our commentaries so that's something to look forward to but this time around, we have an exclusive for all you TRN listeners, and that is a special segment that Wizard included in an issue for Halloween titled Comic Celebrities Share Halloween Memories. So this is actually the collected stories of people who were writing and drawing comics in the 90s. Kind of an interesting way to go about building up that Halloween spirit. Some are spooky, some are silly. So Michael, why don't you take it away? So... The first one says, I decided everyone is giving away Tootsie Rolls. I thought I'd give away comic books. So come Halloween, a kid comes to the door and opens up one of those store-bought Halloween sacks. It's about half full, and I take out a stack of comics and drop them in the bag and blow out the bottom of the bag. There's an explosion of candy all over the place, and the other kids all backed away with the OG, never mind, look on their faces, <laughs> while the kid was not pleased. The mother was even less pleased. She went off on me like a drunken sailor on shore leave. <laughs> 
Keith Giffen. Yeah, that's too bad. You want to do something nice for the kids, you kind of overdo it, blow out the bottom of their candy bag. Kids, I hope you have learned your lesson. That's why you can't go with that cheap plastic stuff. Always got to go with a nice, sturdy pillowcase. Got to be a pillowcase, man. Any kid <laughs> of the 90 knows a pillowcase is, the, is where it's at. <laughs> My wife dressed up as Vampirella and gave me a surprise I'll never forget. Joe Matarera. I wonder what the surprise was. Yeah. Go, go take out the garbage. <laughs> yeah, that would be a trick and a treat. It's kind of interesting, though, that uh, a Vampirella costume, not easy to come by. Makes you wonder, I mean, was his wife one of the models? Who knows? And those who don't know, Vampirella, actually a big horror icon of the 70s, you know, horror magazines, who is having a resurgence in the 90s. All right, now the next story here says, I was in seventh grade and had gotten that Dick Smith's professional makeup kit. I dressed up as Mr. Hyde, put a suit on, a cape, a cane, and brought a big hatchet knife with me. It was real late at night, and I was running up to people's back windows while they were watching TV, and I'd bang on the windows while staring in. Someone must have called the police, saying there was a psychotic old man running around with a knife, because I can remember running through the woods with police chasing me with flashlights. I'm jumping over fences for dear life. I ran into the house and my mother's looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? As my nose is dripping off my face. The highlight of it all was that it was in the local paper the next day saying, be on the lookout for a demented old man. Too bad there wasn't a sketch. Billy Tucci. <laughs> it was in the paper. That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, just the idea that he's out there alone with a knife in his hand. It sounded like it was a real knife. And he's just deciding to harass people just for kicks, but not in a group. That, that one's kind of creepy. Oh boy. But what's our next tale of the macabre, Michael? I was about eight years old, and I went out as Dr. Doom. All it was was a green hooded sweatshirt with a cape my mother made, a mask my dad painted silver, and a big, thick black belt. It was a pretty miserable costume, but when I had it on, I was Dr. Doom. I may have even been the first kid in the world that went out as Doc Doom. Fantastic Four number five had come out just shortly before that, and it changed my life. I was Doom. Chuck Dixon. Yeah, I just find that so hilarious that it's like a brand new character at that moment in time. And this kid is so obsessed having read the comic once. He's like, yes, I will be Doom. <laughs> it's kind of how I felt going to a costume party when I was 12 as the shadow because nobody else had seen the movie. Nobody else cared. <laughs> But our next story here, my friends and I went up to a house and rang the doorbell. The door opened and this old lady was going to give us candy. All of a sudden, from behind her, this guy like eight feet tall in a werewolf costume came bombing down the steps and chased me and four of my friends for about a block. Then he just disappeared. We were all just terrified. Trick or treat was over after that. I think we all went home and just changed our pants. <laughs> Tom Snagoski. But that's definitely like a child's memory, right? It's like, and then this guy came and then he chased us and we ran forever. Yeah, I was running for miles, man. You ran about 45 feet, kid. Oh, <laughs> okay. Next up, Halloween night. I spent the entire night underneath a car hiding from the police. We were in high school and set off these firecrackers, timing it so they all went off at the same time. Within a minute, there were tons of police cars and all of us scrambled and hid. I had to hide under a car in a driveway for like four hours as police cars patrolled back and forth with their lights 
shining in every direction. We were hiding like prisoners of war, and that's how I spent the entire Halloween underneath a car. Terry Moore. All these stories involving kids getting chased down by the police, Michael, I have to ask, have you ever been chased by the police? I do have a Halloween chase story. Oh, wow. We have to hear it. Come on. Okay. So I, too, was in high school, probably like ninth grade or so. In my town, a bunch of us, probably about 25 or 30 of us, used to get together on the weekends and do like, remember the game Manhunt? It was like hide and go seek in the dark. So one of the elementary schools that we all went to had like this perfect playground and this big open field in the back. And it was a great place for playing manhunt. And we used to go there all the time and just run amok. And and the police or the, you know, village constables would come by and try to chase us out. (laughs) Halloween, it had to have been ninth grade for sure. We're all there and we're kind of, you know, we're not really playing. We're kind of, you know, throwing eggs at each other and shaving cream in the windows and so on and so forth. And we were getting a little bit too rambunctious and the police show up and the side of the building was grass, but it was wide enough to fit a car down. And so as we're like shaving, creaming the windows, the police car shows up, flips its lights on. We all start running and it was a good quarter mile sprint to the end of the back of the school, right? So we weren't running full speed, almost with our backpacks with candy and eggs and shaving cream in it and so on and so forth. And there was this high six foot fence that blocked off a side street adjacent to the school. So we're all hopping over the fence, we're climbing the fence, and we jump over. And one of my buddies, his backpack, like, you know, the little handle thing on the top of a backpack? Oh, yeah. Got hooked on top of the fence. Whoa, what? And the cops were there, and they were coming around the other side at the same time. And I had, like, a little Swiss Army knife in my pocket, and I reached in and I swiped his backpack and, and clipped the thing off the top. He dropped to the ground. The two of us, we're all dressed in like black and hoodies and whatever. We're hiding in the bushes in somebody's yard. We pulled our hoods over our head and just sort of buried ourselves in, in leaves and, and brush for a good 35, 40 minutes. And we're just sort of hiding there as the cops are patrolling and circling around and looking for people. And they didn't catch any of us. And we just kept hiding and for what felt like forever. And of course, there's no cell phones back then. So you can't like text your buddies and say, hey, I'm in these bushes, yada, yada, yada. So we had all kind of set up a plan that we were going to meet back at somebody's house if anybody ever got caught or had to scatter or whatever. So finally, a good 45 minutes goes by, the cops kind of fade away. The other kid and I creep our way out and we slowly like made our way to find where our bikes were. And the cops confiscated our bike. Oh. Oh, yeah. So we had to walk a good like mile and a half, two miles to the safe house, if you will. And we just never got our bikes back. <laughs> My parents were like, where'd your bike go? I'm like, I don't know. Somebody stole it at school. The police got the trick on that one. Juvenile delinquent, Michael. Oh, I was a rebel without a cause. You know me. <laughs> All right, well, if we're going to share our running from the cop stories, I'm going to get mine in here then, too. So this took place, it probably actually was October, but it wasn't exactly Halloween. I had just turned 18, and I had these friends who had a website where they called themselves Urban Explorers, which translated means trespassers. So they would break into, like, water parks and theme parks and all these, like, different buildings, and they would photograph or videotape their adventures, but never show their faces, right? So I always wanted to get in on this, and they said, hey, 
hey, well, you know that military base near us that closed down two years ago? We're going there. Why don't you hang out with us tonight? So about 1 a.m., we all get in a van. We head over to this military base, and we climb between these two barbed wire fences to get inside. And we just kind of start, you know, running around. There's like a tarmac, you know, where they used to have the different, you know, jets take off and things like that. I'm sure I went to an air show there as a kid. So we go up into this tower, but as we open the door, literal bats flew out. Like it was a foggy night. Bats flew out at us. We're just like, whoa, this is getting creepy. As we go in, everything is all like dilapidated, like in the base of the building where like, you know, pieces of the actual uh, ceiling are falling in. There's cobwebs everywhere. Like it was pretty gross. And there's this like spiral staircase that goes to the top of the observation tower. So we're climbing up there and we're looking around. Some of the guys took the occasion to pee off the top of it. But then one of the guys decided to take a picture and forgot to turn the flash off. And so there's this huge flash that goes off at the top of the tower, the highest point, right? And that's when we look down and there's this shack, which must have been a guard shack. All of a sudden, a light turns on. We thought this place was abandoned, right? And so we go, we're like, oh, what, you idiot? What were you doing? So then oh, it doesn't... No. So, of course, then we just, you know, we're going down the staircase. We're trying to find an exit because we can't go back the way we came because that's exactly where that shed was. But wouldn't you know it, as we get behind these buildings and we see, like, a whole line of them going down the tarmac that, we're like, there's got to be a way out that way. That's when we see the car, whatever it was, security car, military police, whatever he was, creeping up on us without his headlights on, just zooming by in the dark. And then, of course, he turns around. We get to one building we creep over to the next building get to the third building that's boof he hits the lights you know turning on oh the they love that <laughs> So that's when we just start hoofing it. We're just running, except this one guy, Clark. He's like, I don't run. He was just walking very briskly. You don't run. Do you go to jail, Clark? Come on, let's go, let's go. So we're running, running, and we get to this place where there's a gap. There's these like this tiny staircase and a gap, and he jumped to the other side. There's another staircase. It must have been like a, a channel for something. I don't know what it was, but we get up to it. The car's coming, and we all just jump across, jump across, jump across, and we start running, but we get then to this giant wall. You know, it was probably like 10 or 15 feet high and we're like how do we get out of here oh wow so basically where we're stuck now there is the big wall that's like a big concrete wall and then next to it is a like a drainage ditch that's like 15 feet down so it's 15 feet up or 50 feet down but then there's a chain link fence that runs between them with barbed wire on the top but there was a tiny space between the two that led to the outside where the street was we needed to get to. So a couple of the guys went ahead of us. They, you know, the more nimble ones, I guess you would say. They jumped over, showed us it could be done. They ran to go get the van. The rest of us are just like, you know, hoping not to teeter over or get caught in the barbed wire. We finally make it over and they come up with the van. It's just a minivan and they roll the door open. We all jump in and then takes off. And I was just like, okay, never again. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh my goodness. Too old yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would not have made it past uh, even half of that story trying to get away. Uh, but here we are with our last entry here in the Comic Celebrity Share Halloween Memories stories. And this one, to me, there's something extra we're going to explain at the end to give it context. But check this out. It says, It was Halloween afternoon. I was 11. I was a paperboy and always looking to enlarge my route. I was soliciting potential new post-gazette subscribers in a neighborhood some distance from my home. I approached a house surrounded by high, overgrown hedges and an unkempt yard. It looked 
dark inside, but you never know, so I knocked. I was suddenly nearly overcome by an irrational urge to get the hell away from there in a hurry. Then, the door opened. A pleasant-looking woman, I'd guess in her 40s, invited me in. Then she just started asking me questions about myself, about school, about things I was interested in. Nothing improper. And yet, it was on some level disturbing more and more as she asked question after question. Finally, feeling almost desperate, I interrupted her in mid-question, croaking out a pitch for the paper. She said she'd like to subscribe, but she couldn't, and looked sad. She got up and led me back through the house toward the front door. I wanted to just bolt, but I kept telling myself not to be stupid, there was no reason to be uncool. I looked back and she was in the entrance to the hall, barely visible in the dim light trickling in through the living room windows. She said that she'd enjoyed our talk. I mumbled something incoherent and left. The next day, I passed by there again, soliciting subscribers. I saw that there was a for sale sign, mostly hidden by overgrown weeds in front of the woman's house. I asked a neighbor about the lady next door and was told that she'd died a year before, and that her husband and son, a boy around my age, had moved to California. Absolutely true. Jim Shooter. Pretty creepy, but actually related to a comic book called The Good Guys that we discussed on the podcast. Do you remember this, Michael? The Good Guys was that horrible thing that they came up with their own superpowers and... Yep. Yeah, I remember. Okay, yes. So that was through this company, Defiant Comics, that Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief of, and... In the opening pages of the comic, which was based on real kids, the opening story is this kid who is a paperboy soliciting at this house, and he gets invited in by this woman who is there alone, and she's asking him all these weird questions, and then she gives him a talisman, which leads to some powers. Now, that obviously is not part of Jimmy Shooter's story, but everything I just read, beat for beat, is exactly how it plays out in the opening pages of the good guys comic so it just adds an extra layer here of interest in my mind you know that he would pull that real life ghost story out for use in his comic book <laughs> weird but speaking of creepy comics michael is there a spooky story from your comic book reading that you can recommend for this halloween season and those who are seeking out some scares so i'm a big fan of the dc comics uh tom taylor deceased run there's there's three volumes and we're in the third and final quote-unquote chapter of this story arc and it's basically like you know what if the anti-life equation wiped out half the planet made everybody into zombies and killing people and it's crazy it's super wild it's fantastic i love it it's probably the best stuff in dc right now and, and tom taylor's killing it in his book Basically, right. like every, everybody on Earth is zombies and multiple planets are zombies and so on and so forth. And they have to leave and go find a new Earth. I don't want to spoil anything. And I highly recommend it. If you like anything about zombies and you like superheroes and you want to see the bad guy win in a way, like it's wild and how they use the legacy characters to grow into the the main continuity it's fantastic that's really really cool okay well mine is going to be a little bit earlier than you know right now <laughs> mine is actually back from the 80s if people remember the sledgehammer television show that was kind of a parody of the dirty harry movies it was just very wacky well marvel comics did an adaptation of the series but not like just taking actual episodes and making them into comics they just continued Continued the adventures of Sledgehammer in that style. And the first issue, for whatever reason, is titled 
Creep House, kind of like, you know, thinking of, you know, Creep Show had just come out. So there was like a big anthology horror, George Romero, Stephen King and stuff. But so what they have going on in here is there is a horror hostess named Satana, who is like, you know, a stand in for Elvira. And she has replaced this old timey horror host named Vincent Van Gore, obviously a Vincent Price stand in. But she had two predecessors who were named Satana that were, you know, the hostesses that both got killed like they were in a horror movie. But this Satana is very spunky and very tough and very athletic, so she thinks she can hold her own, but she still involves the police. That's where Sledgehammer and his partner, Darrow, come into the mix. But what's extra fun about this is, of course, they are going to play up the 80s horror icons of this day, right? So they have this moment where they get attacked by... Crazy Teddy. Now, Crazy Teddy looks a lot like Freddy Krueger, and he's got like a red kind of striped, uh, it's it's actually all red. I don't know if that was a coloring issue, but you could see some stripes drawn onto it, sweater. And then he's got these claws, but they're not like, you know, claw fingers on one hand. It's like all of his fingernails are blood red talons. And then his head is like this green witch head. He almost looks like he belongs, you know, to the uh, Wicked Witch of the West from the Wizard of Oz movies. Then later on at the end, they're being attacked by Jason. Okay, J-J-A-Y-S-I-N. All right, and yes, he's wearing a hockey mask. He's got the jumpsuit and all that. But they say what movie franchise he is from. And it is bizarre the pun that they are reaching for here. It is called Fright Day the Hurt Teens. Okay, so instead of Friday the 13th, Fright Day the Hurt Teens. That is a stretch. But of course, you know, they unmask him. It's Vincent Van Gore as Jason, who just wanted to get revenge for all the people taking his job. But just overall, the comedy is like a step above in terms of like maturity. And, you know, it's a lot of puns and silly stuff, but it is definitely not a kid's comic book. Like, that's what I found so fascinating about the first issue of Sledgehammer with a horror Halloween theme. It was very fun. So what's next on your list, Michael? So I have two more. The first one I'm going to go with is I zombie which is my favorite mike allred book have you ever read iZombie? I have not. You know, I'm more a fan of his Madman and a couple other projects, but never got into iZombie. I think I read like the first issue and it just wasn't for me. I really like it. I really enjoyed it. I read the first two volumes of it. I, I find it a lot of fun and I, I think it's a good zombie story and it's a different sort of take on zombies. I mean, it got turned into a TV series, right? It did. It, it was like a four or five season series run. Yeah on the CW and it was a good show. I watched the first two or three seasons and then I kind of like dropped off because I just gave up cable and it was like, oh well. <laughs> but yeah, it's I like iZombie. It's a, it's a good, fun, horror-esque comedy and, and the Mike Allred art is just dynamite for it. All right. Well, yeah, no, that that's a good one. Definitely. Uh, now, my next choice, I, I'm going to stay in the 80s. I just can't get enough of a licensed comic book from Marvel Comics. They were just producing fun things back then, especially one that has another parody of the uh, horror movies of the day. This one is Count Dracula issue 11, and on the cover you have this guy, like, kind of looming in shadow in the background. It says, Freddy's back and front, a lightmare on Elm Street. So not a nightmare, a lightmare. And you have Count Dracula's butler saying, it's Elm Street, sir, where we are to meet that Freddy chap. I wonder if he knows a decent manicurist around here. Now, Michael, you remember 
Count Duckula, yes? Count Duckula? Of course I do. So you have Count Duckula in this story, has heard these legends of this Freddy character who lives on Elm Street in the village below, and he is going to talk to Freddy for whatever reason he just feels like he's got to solve this mystery of the character and he gets in there and you find out that this Freddy his name is Freddy Kukuger. Not Freddy Krueger, Freddy Kukuger or Kukuger, I guess, because he is a chicken, not because of anything else you might be reading into that. <laughs> sure. But for all intents and purposes, he is Freddy Krueger. He's got the striped sweater, he's got the fedora, and he's got long talons. Like, literally, his nails are super long. And he's all, like, scarred on his face. And you're like, okay, so what is the story here? Well, we find out that all the screaming and crying that comes from his foreboding shack at the end of Elm Street is actually Freddy himself, who is sad that he has no friends. Why? Well, his nails were growing too long, and he spent all day out in the sun trying to cut them with hacksaw and all these other implements, he could not ever cut his super strong nails, and by staying in the sun so long, then his face got horribly burned and he got blisters, and now nobody wants to be his friend. And Count Duckula decides, I will be your friend, Freddy. I'm gonna help you out. And is a happy ending for all. So there you go with Count Duckula and Freddy Kukuger, a lightmare on Elm Street. Now what's your last pick here, Michael? Okay, it's one you're gonna think that is very surprising that I like. And it was also adapted into a movie, 30 Days of Night. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't usually dig deep into horror, so I am surprised. Have you ever read that? No, no I've never seen the movie, never read the comic. Oh, it's the first volume is horrifying, but it is fantastic. Like, I don't... It's, it's really scary. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm not a big scare person, as you know. But this was incredible. The art is gripping, and, and it's a really good story. The, mo the movie itself doesn't do it justice, let's put it that way. Yeah, as I get into my last pick here, I will just say, as far as 90s comics go, there were plenty of scary books out there. I mean, any issue of Spawn, or if you want to pick up Vampirella, or just, you know, there were just so many books that focused on the horror elements of the world. Even Archie has at times, like, done, like, horror oh, yeah. stuff, and, 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 like, you know, Halloween-esque kind of thing. They have a whole run of Archie where it's, He's dead and like, you know, a whole almost like an Elseworlds upside down version of Archie as well. Adam, Adam's like, like, I've got no comment for that. <laughs> Well, actually, no, I'm not the world's biggest Archie comics fan, but I do remember this, uh, you know, zombie Archie thing coming out. So something I definitely recognize. But for my last pick, uh, I actually went even further back in the 80s, although this is a comic I picked up published in 1993, and it had the title of X-Men versus Dracula. And it says mutants versus monsters on the cover. So this is something where they reprinted uh, a couple issues from back in the 80s. And I, you know, if anybody doesn't know, Tomb of Dracula was a very popular Marvel comic in the 70s. Just horror comics in general were a big deal. Dracula does exist in the Marvel Universe as kind of an anti-hero. And so he was very popular in that era. So they decided, let's cross him over for their other most popular book and see if we can revitalize him. Uh, so it's basically just a story like Storm gets turned and she becomes a vampire. And there's just a lot of back and forth in there. But I just think uh, this is a fun read that I haven't read all the way through yet. So I'm going to enjoy it for the Halloween season. Uh, but speaking of which, Michael, what are your plans as we close out here? What are you doing for Halloween? 
taking my children trick-or-treating. One is going to be Belle from Beauty and the Beast, and the other one is going to be Mirabelle from Encanto. That's about it. But are you going to do any decorating? Because I know you just had a remodel on your house. What are the plans there? It's funny you say that. So we were thinking about this weekend going pumpkin picking, and... I'm like, I said to my wife, where are we going to put the pumpkins? We don't, we're not going to even be in our house yet. And I'm like, I don't want to carry 15 pumpkin, pumpkins because my kids can't decide on which ones they want. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, and, and the pumpkin patch that we have, all you can carry one flat price. So my oh. wife and kids just stack up pumpkins on me and I try to like <laughs> carry them about 15 feet without throwing my back out. And I'm like, I am not doing that this year. <laughs> so we're going to go to like the grocery store and buy a couple of pumpkins and carve them and we'll take them around the neighborhood and do trick-or-treating. That's about it for us this year. How about you? Uh, well, I will say uh, we live right next door to a ton of cornfields. Like we are on farmland out here. So I will say that we have our pick of corn mazes. There is a fun one we went to last year. So I'm sure the kids so look forward to that. We went with grocery store pumpkins as well. That was just the better option. But as far as our uh, costumes, I have my uh, youngest is going to be Mario. Yes, Super Mario. And uh, my oldest son is going to be Steve from Minecraft. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, Steve is just like the generic player character when you log in on Minecraft. Gotcha. But my wife decided to be Mary Poppins this year, and so she wanted me to be and I think that's fine. So I went and I was going to get the striped suit with, you know, that special hat and the cane and do the penguin dance. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm being regular Mary Poppins, not the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Mary Poppins. So unfortunately, HalloweenCostumes.com, they had the striped Bert, but they don't have the chimney sweep Bert. And all the other places I've checked didn't really have good ones either. Although I should clarify, HalloweenCostumes.com does offer it, but it was out of stock. Like there must be a lot of Berts running around for Halloween this year. So I had to go to Goodwill and piece together, you know, order the little hat and everything like that. So I think it's going to come out just fine. It's not a super complicated costume, but we're doing Mary and Bert. And also as far as the decorations, like that's what I always look forward to. I bought some things to really up the ante for our Jason Friday the 13th display that I put out every year. But my wife is adamant. She's like, you cannot decorate until October 1st. And the kids are like, come on, dad, we got to decorate because they love to help. And I'm like, my mom says can't do it till the first. <laughs> But have no fear, or be filled with fear. There is going to be plenty of decorating in my neck of the woods, and I'm sure that you all are getting ready for your Halloween celebrations as well. But thank you so much for listening to what we had to offer here. But until next time, keep your mummies wrapped and coffined. <laughs> Best it. I can come up with. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Michael, for that segment. Uh, very fun. And it's time for some more Retro Rumbles. Hit me, man. All right. We're getting into one of our favorite, my favorite subject, one of your favorite subjects, food. <laughs> so Gary here at the Retro Network wants to know M&Ms versus Reese's Pieces. Oh, well, I guess if it's just the, the regular M&Ms, Plain old M&M's versus Reese's Pieces. I will lean towards the Reese's Pieces. Uh, and I'm not a huge fan of chocolate and peanut butter together, but for some what? reason, those ones, that works for me. Yeah, oh, I like E.T. cereal back in the day. I hated E.T. cereal. 
because it was like it didn't want to know what it wanted 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 to be like chocolate or peanut butter and and yeah i don't know it's just reese's cups yeah I'll, i'll eat those but not my favorite thing uh I but I like Reese's Pieces, you know. There's I don't know. <laughs> I'm weird like that, I guess. Now, if you got something else inside the M and M's, like like peanut M and M's or something, then I would swing that way. Well, where do you fall on the peanut butter M and M's? I I haven't had them enough to really compare to Reese's Pieces. I assume they're close, aren't they? Or is it a totally different thing? Reese's Pieces has more of a. They're a little sweeter, I think. Okay. And at the same time, have a slightly more saltiness to them, like the Reese cup does. But the M&M's is a close version, but bigger. So you get more peanut butter. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, I've kind of shot away from them. Well, I, you don't like chocolate and peanut butter that well. That's crazy. I think chocolate and peanut butter may be the best combo since Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> I mean, the Bandit and the Snowman, I should say. Uh, <laughs> So it straight up M&M's versus Reese's Pieces. I'm going Reese's Pieces. Okay. But also like you, when you start mixing the stuff in, if it's a peanut M&M, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still prefer Reese's Pieces over peanut butter M&M's, but peanut butter M&M's are a great substitute. I really like the pretzel M&M's. It's oh. The pretzel <laughs> ball covered in the chocolate candy shell. Haven't tried those yet. They've been out for a few years now. Yeah. And since it's Halloween, the cookies and scream M&Ms, those things are fantastic with the cookies and cream center. Ooh, ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, I haven't tried those either. I had a bag of those about a month ago, and I've had another bag in my possession for a couple of weeks. I'm just waiting a little bit longer because I've not seen any more in the stores. (laughs) (laughs) Saving them. Uh, And sticking with the candy theme, our great friend, old school Tim, wants to know, do we prefer handing out candy or trick-or-treating? I think that's a loaded question based on the age group. Well, true. Yeah, I was going to say now it's obviously we're not going around trick-or-treating. But, yeah, I, I don't think I would ever just – giving, you know, we're teenagers or kids, uh, I would always be going out. I would not be staying at home handing out the candy. You know, we've talked a lot about some of our Halloween's of our youth uh, getting candy is always a good thing when you're a kid you're always going to it's going to seem fun right but i look around and, and my kids when they were trick-or-treating there was way more trunk or treating than trick-or-treating which as a parent you're like man this is just kind of you know shooting fish in a barrel here <laughs> they got to work for it yeah yeah this is not <laughs> great but when I was growing up and you'd walk up and down the street with your friends and it was a festive mood and atmosphere, yeah. it's hard to top that. And, uh, as my kids got out of the trick or treating part, uh, we're not in a area where a lot of people's around. So trick or treating, handing out candy is not a, a big thing around here. I, we've mm-hmm. not actually done it in a few years, but there was a short period of time where we tried and we'd decorate the yard and the porch and things, and we'd have three people show up. So right. I, I liked the prep of it. I was disappointed by the results of the turnout, though. <laughs> so if my turnout was better these days, I'd probably be a huge fan of handing out candy. But yeah, yeah. My daughter this year, it, her first spooky costume, she's a werewolf. And, uh, my uh, sister-in-law, uh, her little girl, 
uh, she usually goes over there to their neighborhood because they live in the rich neighborhood and they have like everybody decorates their house and they give out like full candy bars and all that stuff. Well, (laughs) my sister-in-law tells me last night, if she's going to be a werewolf, her cousin's going to be scared of her and she's not going to be able to trick or treat over here. (laughs) So I'm, (laughs) I'm telling her, look, you're going to get the best candy if you go over there. So you're going to have to like alter your costume or we're going to have to find like a not so frightening werewolf mask to uh, <laughs> go with the, go with the costume so you can get the good candy. She's like, no, she's like sticking to our guns. So we're going to have to find another neighborhood to uh, scare some people. <laughs> you got to teach her the fine art of forking too. <laughs> yeah. Corny. Yeah. I'll, I'll grab a backpack full of shuck corn and, We'll go corning too. Yeah. Well, speaking of tricks and treats, uh, Michael, you just heard on Wizards, also is part of the Box Office 30 podcast. And uh, him and Pete, and they are tackling a subject I wouldn't imagine was even possible, but they're reviewing the top 30 horror movies of 1992. Wow. I wouldn't think there would have been 30 horror movies in any year, but here we are with 1992. It's a really fun listen, though. Uh, the list, some things I've heard of, some things I haven't, but it was an entertaining listen all the way around. So listen to this. Welcome to a Halloween edition of Box Office 30. It's spooky season, baby. <laughs> I don't know. This is how I, I roll. It. Spooky season in 3D, folks. Hello, hello. Welcome to our Box Office 30 Halloween special as part of the Retro Network Halloween special. I am Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and spooky co-host, Michael. How are you doing, sir? I'm feeling ghoulish today. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you've got like a uh, quasi um, Vincent my Price best, sort of thing going. I've got my best Barry White, Vincent Price amalgam. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to do, um, you know, we like the number 30 over here at Box Office 30. So I, we went out and we found a list that's the 30 best horror movies of 1992. And we're just going to run down this list um, kind of how we do in our Box Office 30 segment and see um which of these ring a bell which ones don't um we got this list off hellhorror.com so thank you to hellhorror.com for putting uh, i'll there right now i wouldn't know that there was 30 horror movies released in the year I, yeah the i was trying 30. to piece together myself you know and i know you and i usually at the end of the year do our like top favorites of the <sighs> year um you know list but uh, you know as usual you and i are always a little like creeped out by the spooky stuff so mm-hmm. same thing i don't know if i could name like a ton of them so i thought this was a good little helper for us so um why don't you kick us off at, at number 30 on this list here sure number 30 is critters four i wouldn't know that there was a critters two or three <laughs> but apparently there's a critters four and its tagline is in space they love to hear you scream <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah i vaguely remember the critters movies i think i saw one of them maybe on like an afternoon sunday movie sort of special i, I couldn't tell you which one it was um they kind of look like little puppety sort of guys but yes, kind of weird but interesting all right well number 29 it, it, at least i've heard of critters number 29 yeah. is called waxwork 2 
Lost in Time. <laughs> and this says, in the sequel, a couple must use a portal through time to defeat evil. Okay. <laughs> but That's the tagline is, a killer is waiting. Yeah. In the past, <laughs> present, and future. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, got me Number on that one. 28, Killer Tomatoes Eat France. <laughs> I remember the Killer Tomatoes, like, uh, the first one, for some reason. Well, so I, I remember Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and I think what I remember even better than that is the cartoon Attack yes. of the Killer Tomatoes that was on when we were kids. I only found out about the, uh, the other one later, which I think is either George Clooney's first movie or among his first movies or something like that. That's um, pretty hilarious. So I, the, I don't know if I've ever been like a big uh, Tomatoes fan. My kind of thing for that is uh, Night of the Leapers with the rabbits that was uh, in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta read this plot and the tagline are fantastic. After escaping from jail, Professor Gangrene plots to take <laughs> over France and eventually the world by having a hapless assistant impersonate Louis the Fourteenth or Louis the Sixteenth, I guess. Seventeenth. Um, uh, Louis the Seventeenth. Oh my, my bad. <laughs> and the tagline says, "You'll never go veg again." Yeah, I mean, I think you know, Attack of the Killer Tomato movies in general are a little tongue in cheek, and it seems like this is uh, no different than that. Given especially that wacky poster. <laughs> All right, well, number 27 is a movie called Dr. Giggles. Now, interestingly enough, when I was looking for a few sort of lists this morning, this one kept coming up and coming up, and it seems like a name that you might know. But... I do know this movie because Stephen and Adam are both big fans of Dr. Giggles. For some reason, they wanted to do this movie as a as a episode of the podcast for some reason because it's, it's somehow loosely based on some sort of comic book for some reason. And the plot of it, a doctor comes to the town where his crazy father was murdered and soon begins murdering people and becoming infatuated with a young teenage girl who has a heart condition. <laughs> okay. I like the tagline. Sorry. The doctor is insane. <laughs> Boo. That's brilliant. Okay. So this one we definitely know. Number 26 is The Lawnmower Man. Um, have you ever seen The Lawnmower Man? Me? Multiple times. I love this movie. Um, this I mean, it's total garbage, but uh, a buddy of me used to watch this constantly uh, when we were younger. And uh, I think we talked about it a couple podcasts yeah. ago. I don't remember exactly which uh, I think it was on the list at one and... month. We had to come. We, one month it was on the list of, of movies to pick from or something like that. I'm yeah, well, sure. go check the, uh, the summer issues of uh, Box Office 30 and see if you can find it. <laughs> All right, number 25 is a movie called Homewrecker. Um, this one's got an interesting poster. It says, Homewrecker, it cooks, it cleans, it kills. And it's got, like, <laughs> a robotic the world's, hand. like, crummiest mechanical hands. <laughs> like, not quite even, like, Terminator quality. It's just, like, yeah. really, like, something somebody, like, put together, like, in a welding shop or something. It says, a scientist reprograms his computer with the personality of a woman and names it Lucy. When the scientist gets back together with his estranged wife dot, 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 and then it doesn't say anything else. You know what, though? I think I've seen this. <laughs> After reading that plot synopsis, I think I remember this movie. Oh, yeah. God. I can't say that I've seen this one. Uh, I digress. Okay. Moving along. That's fine. <laughs> Number 24 seems like a foreign film. It's called Seed People. 
<laughs> people. The, the sleepy little town of Comet Valley has been invaded by plants from outer space. Yeah, I think there's a few foreign movies in here. Well, surprisingly to me, and again, this happened when we talked about it in the podcast, all the way up at number 23 is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which again, you know, goes on to spawn a super successful TV show. And I think the movie was a bit of a success, at least, you know, in a cult fashion. I saw so it It's the kind theater. of funny that it's all the way uh, up there. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I like this movie. I don't know why people don't like it. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Number 22, how this is above Buffy the Vampire, so I don't know. Maniac Cop 3, Label of Silence. Or, <laughs> which for some reason, it says Label of Silence, but in the poster it says Badge of Silence. <laughs> I don't understand yeah. what's the right name for this thing. Yeah, and at that, when it says Label, it's like a lowercase l. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> um, the it's got some summary. like creepy, zombie-looking kind of cop uh, on the thing. So Yeah, and the plot summary says... A female cop is gunned down and wrongly accused of using excessive force in a hostage rescue attempt. Maniac cop returns from the dead once more to seek revenge, destroying everything <laughs> and everyone that stands in his way. Interesting. <laughs> Number 21 on our list is Auntie Lee's Meat Pies. Um, that sounds and gross. presuming on the poster here, it's showing Auntie Lee, who doesn't look like she could be anybody's aunt. Uh, and what definitely looks like a meat pie, because there's something looking at yeah, me. Like an eyeball. So, so I have that's kind of like, creepy. In this movie, Pat Morita. Wow. <laughs> Pat Morita is in this movie. That's weird. <laughs> and he's not top billing for this movie. Okay, number 20, Demonic Toys. I... It's just a bunch of scary toys on a cover of a poster. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, those are some creepy toys, particularly that little, like, teddy bear thing. They all seem to share the same, like, very teethy mouth. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I kind of have, like, a vague recollection of, that, recollection of that, but I don't think I saw it. Number 19 on the list is Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, which we talked also recently uh, at slight length about with uh, pinhead controversy and, and things like that going on currently, but... I was not a Hellraiser person, and I did not watch these because that dude creeped me out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Although I, I'm pretty sure probably Hellraiser 3 was probably the first time that I would have like seen a poster or like yeah, a VHS or a rental for store it. for Hellraiser. So this might be my introduction to that series vis-a-vis. Um, -vis. I would say so, too. Number 18 is Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. And again, I remember... Like seeing commercials for this and this poster and so on and so forth. I have not seen this particular Stephen King horror movie, but I do remember hearing about it. I haven't seen this one either, and it only makes me reinforce in my mind that you and I, as like a special bonus episode at some point, maybe next Halloween, should do like a Stephen King movie countdown of all the ones that are out there, and, and they're all like terrible. <laughs> it's like the only stuff that does well of his is the short story stuff. All right, number 17, Dr. Mordred. Um, this has got an epic poster, this, this dude with these mega sleeves here. Fun fact about this movie, this is an unofficial Dr. Strange movie. Really? Yeah, they couldn't get the right scene. I mean, Dr. Strange. yeah, I, I could almost see that. It says, like, Dr. Mordred, Master of the Unknown. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I could definitely see that, you know, being in that vein. But, man, the sleeves on this dude are not to be believed. Um, yeah, this is like cool. a knockoff Dr. Strange. This was another one that Steven is a big fan of. So he, he's mentioned it many, many times. Nice. <laughs> Funny enough. 
Number 16, The Burning Moon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Burning Moon centers on two bedtime stories that a delinquent brother reads to his kid sister. I mean, like, again, this is like much higher on the list than Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that so strange. Number 15, The Vagrant. Bill Paxton's The, the Vagrant, too. Look at that. Yeah. He's not home alone. <laughs> and look, it's the poster is him doing the home alone thing with the hands. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> I don't know this movie, I know. but I kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> of course you do. Oh, boy, that's funny. Number 14 is Body Puzzle. I don't know this one at all. I think, yeah, I think it's another, you know, especially you like look at the poster. It's like it says director Lamberto Bava. Um, and it's got a, a bunch of foreign sounding names in, in the, the stars list. I just don't know any of them. So I think that there's definitely some of those on this list here that we're not going to necessarily uh, run into otherwise. Number 13, Innocent Blood. Um, I do know this one. I know. All right. This so one t- tell well. me what you know about it. So I've, I've only seen parts of this movie, but I'll never forget the commercial. Um, you know, she's like female vampire in, you know, the city somewhere. And she's just hunting and killing and whatever. And there's a part where like two detectives find like a dead body. I believe it's in a car. And uh, he goes like, "Look at this guy. He's about five quarts low." And they like, you know, because he got the blood sucked out of him. That's all I remember about this movie. Is this movie a comedy in your recollection? Uh, not really. It's really a because horror. as I'm looking at it here, it's directed by John Landis, and I'm just like. How does the guy who does like half the National Lampoon? Well, I guess he did an American Werewolf too, so I guess he kind of. Uh, it, it's horror, but it's also too. kind of like jokey at times. But it's yeah. you know it's more scary than it is comedy. Interesting. Number twelve is Dust Devil. He's not a serial killer. He's much worse. <laughs> it's a Miramax. <laughs> yeah, film, this so. one's yeah Miramax. I was gonna say here's our Miramax for the list. <laughs> Pretty high up there yeah. for Miramax. Yeah, um, number eleven. Here's a recognizable title: Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me. Um, I have like very little nerd cred when it comes to Twin Peaks. Like, it seems like one of these shows that I should have binge watched absolutely the whole thing at this point. And I've seen none of it. <laughs> and I hate to admit that. Um, I've seen but, a handful yeah. of episodes and I've seen part of this movie. I actually own this movie. Somebody gave me like a, a copy of it years and years and years ago. And I just never got all the way through it. It's And, and the funny thing is like I love David Lynch. But this, but sometimes they're just so slow and so draggy. Yeah. And I, did, I didn't think this was a horror movie though. But I guess it's a horror movie. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> number 10. Tale of a Vampire. I don't know this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, another vampire movie. We got a couple in here now so far, but this one's unrecognizable to me. Yeah. Uh, number game. nine, and we're getting into the, the like, again, that's like the top ten movie, you know? So yeah. somebody and must like higher it. higher than Buffy. I don't understand that. It's so yeah. crazy. I think the, uh, that Buffy is, is being committed a crime against here. Uh, number nine, Alien 3. Now, we talked about this uh, definitely in some of our past shows uh, when this one came around. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I like the Alien franchise. I've seen all of them. Um, I'm still much more of a Predator fan, although the first Alien movie is is epic. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and uh, you know, you could do a lot worse than Alien to be uh, at number nine on, the, on your list here for sure. Yeah. Number eight is Raising Cain. I know you're a huge John Lithgow fan yourself. And what's funny about John Lithgow is he's one of the few actors 
that can do both comedy and horror really, really well. Like, he played a serial killer in Dexter. He's a psychopath in this movie. And it's just, it's so funny that he can do that. And it's a Brian De Palma film. It's it's very Hitchcocky. And have you seen Raising Cane? I can't remember. It looks familiar, but like I just can't place it really. So I don't know. All right. Well, number seven is a movie called Ghost Watch. Again, how is this higher than Buffy? This is, what is this? This says right on the poster, or I think it's actually a DVD cover they posted for this one, that it's from the BBC. It says, banned for a decade, the cult TV ghost mockumentary, one of the most controversial TV programs of a generation. So they're saying right in the in the poster that it's a mockumentary. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if they're treating that in the normal way, which would usually be typically more comedic than, than not, but obviously there's a lot of like, you know, ghost hunters and things have become quite a big thing in the past few years. So maybe this is like some early, you know, incarnation of a show or, you know, in this case, a movie that becomes a show like that. I guess so. (laughs) Number six is a movie that we have talked about on this podcast as well. Death becomes her with Bruce Willis and Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep. Yeah. It's funny, you know, like looking at this um, poster, uh, which we didn't really necessarily look at so much when we talked at, at somewhat length Some really about it. really decent Photoshop going on in here. <laughs> I was about to say, it's like the world's worst Photoshop going on here. Like, I can't quite tell, you know, it, it almost seems like they have like their three heads photographed in a similar sort of thing. And then somebody like, you know, tried to paint the bodies on or something. I don't know. It's really like yeah. a weird quality poster <laughs> yeah, um, not, but for more on that go back and listen to past uh, episodes of box office 30 all right number five Candyman. we dare you to say his name five times this is one of these things where i remember as a kid my cousins you know telling me like go stand in the dark bathroom and and say no. bloody mary you know three Still times no. and all this sort of thing and mike's noping out already and you know i think Candyman, you know took this even a step further and i think i even saw that there's like a new Candyman coming out sometime soon. I think it already Everyone came just out. just went or... into like a really high register there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a, uh, what's old is new again. Hellraiser is back. Candyman is back. You know, they're doing another Halloween movie that no one cares about anymore. You know, it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, one of the, the, monst- the monsters are back and I hear that's horrible. I hear it's absolutely <laughs> a, a, a train wreck. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that Rob Zombie. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's necessarily his... Um, style i think he's usually for kind of more deeper horror (laughs) so the next one number four is dead alive and i remember this poster and i remember turning off the tv whenever this commercial came on because it was so (laughs) this is a peter jackson movie so um in college when um the lord of the rings started dropping and i was already a lord of the rings fan um i became kind of an instant peter jackson fan too and sought mm-hmm. out a bunch of his stuff because it's like, what do you do as a film student but look up like these, you know, weird movies that this director had uh, his start with? And this is not his first by any stretch, but it's one of his early ones. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. It's like a decent like B horror movie for for that time period. <laughs> yeah. All right, number three, Man Bites Dog. Um, I don't know. <laughs> the plot synopsis. A camera crew follows a serial killer slash thief around as he exercises his craft. Um, this looks like it's another. Yeah, this is a Criterion film. Collection DVD as well. <laughs> yeah, this has some some very French looking names. Uh, it says yeah, directors, like not just one, but three. It's got three French directors. So yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. Just uh, I mean, it's it's got a pretty good score on IMDb and everything. So maybe it's uh-huh. maybe it's decent, but I've just never heard of it before. 
Number two is Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I'm surprised this is number two. I mean, this was a huge movie in the time. As you know, Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins, Keanu Reeves, um, which speaking of Keanu Reeves, he's coming back to do Constantine. Who that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's exciting, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this um, I, I think everybody in our generation saw this, if not right away, then at some point later. It was just kind of like a, a really classic. I remember um, great when this movie on came out on VHS. I remember, I remember when this came out on VHS. It was in Blockbuster. You had to buy. It was a two cassette rental, so you got paid. Yeah. For, you had to charge for two movies because it was two cassettes. That's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I forget if I've ever told you my story with Titanic that I bought like the two VHS set of Titanic at Caldor, and mm-hmm. everybody because I was in sixth grade at that point, and like all the girls, of course, were like seeing the movie like five, six, seven times over the summer. And so I was like, all right, well, I got it on VHS. I didn't see it in the movie theater. And I watched the first half and was really into it. And then the second tape didn't work. No, <laughs> so I had to really? wait several days to get back to Caldor to to exchange it? it for a proper copy that did work. So wah, That's wah. funny. That's pretty funny. All right. Number one. And I am so happy that this is number one, even though I agree that maybe Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, quality wise might have put it a notch higher up. But I could see why this one landed number one. Army of Darkness. Now, again, I know that you are not an evil dead guy. I know you have not seen this. It is my life's goal to sit down with you and make you watch this movie with me at some point. Um, Bruce Campbell, this movie's incredible. Um, I think, honestly, even if you're somebody who never watches the Evil Dead movies, that's fine as long as you watch Army of Darkness. Like, this is my route into the Evil Dead movies. It's silly, it's bananas. It's everything that Sam Raimi is as a movie maker. And you can see why, like if you watch Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and like some of the choices he makes there, so much of it comes out of Army of Darkness. Um, even like the little bonus after credit scene really directly ties right into Army of Darkness. Um, so it, it's pretty cool that this is uh, number one on the list. And honestly, if I had to pick from all the movies we just looked at, this would absolutely be my number one for the list. Okay, well, that's high, that's high praise. How about you? Out of all the movies we just looked at, what would what would be like your favorite? Oh, what would be my favorite? I mean, my favorite—that's really tough, man. Um, <laughs> or your or your. I do like Buffy a lot. Ability I, to I watch like, one of these—that's like, not going to make you run screaming the most. <laughs> I, I like Buffy. All right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw a dart in the air. I'll say <laughs> Death Becomes Her just because I love Bruce Willis and nice. it's such a different role for him. So I'll go with that. There you go. All right, well that's gonna wrap it up for us. Please enjoy the rest of the Retro Network Halloween special, and we will see you on our next show. Happy Halloween! All right, well, that was a very thorough list of horror movies, um, most of which I have not seen. I'm the scaredy cat, of course, so I don't watch many. I, I, I go for the PG horror, like I uh, call it. But, uh, yeah, that was a great list, and uh, now it's time for some more rumbles. Well, let's just keep on with the movie theme. Our okay. Great, our great friend Chad Droz posed one to us. Scream versus I Know What You Did Last Summer. 
I'm going to go with Scream on this one. Me too. I've, I've seen Scream more based on that fact, but uh, I, I would say it's more iconic mm-hmm. uh, than I know what you did last summer. And even the, you know, the main villain, the ghost face. I mean, people still dress as ghost face. Yeah, you don't see too many people dressed as the Gordon's fish man with the no, hook no. in their hand. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little that's a deep cut, you know, nowadays. But yeah. Yeah. Scream was uh I, I've seen the first two at gunpoint. No, uh I, I willingly went and uh was was they're fun horror movies. Yeah, the the franchise got weaker as it went, like most things do. Right. I know what you did last summer. Uh, the first movie I'm just fine with. I've never watched any of the sequels. I did Me try either. the new series on Amazon last year and dropped it after three episodes. It was just a little all over the map for my taste. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to say Scream as well. Okay. And also keeping with the movie theme, my submission to the Retro Rumbles, are you a Freddy guy or are you a Jason guy? Well, of course, I'm a Jason guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be a Jason guy. Uh, I uh, inherited, we'll say, a full Jason mask. I'm talking not just the hockey mask, but the full headgear with the bald and craziness out the back and a bloody machete from a friend of mine. And I think it was last year, maybe on Rediscover the 80s channel, I reviewed the Friday the 13th game that came out and i was dressed up in that horror mask of jason and uh, that was really fun because i don't usually get into a lot of that stuff you know but i have seen the the original and let's see one of the sequels i, I think probably two or three I, I'm, there's been like a dozen of them right i mean yeah for both franchises yeah yeah and I've seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and I think that's it. So I, I'm, I dabble into horror, and then I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so having, what about you? Having to pick one, I got to pick Jason. I have tried watching Nightmare on Elm Street. I can't even get through the first one. It's the only one I've ever even attempted. Okay. The Friday the 13th movies I, I wanted to get into when I was younger. So, I, you know, two, three, four, Jason Takes Manhattan was a cool concept. Uh, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. I actually just rewatched that a month ago. I really uh-huh. liked that movie in the 90s. I'm sitting here watching it <laughs> modern and with the wife. I'm like, what in the world did I ever think that this movie, what redeeming qualities did I ever find in this movie? It was so bad. It's so yeah. Bad. yeah. <laughs> so I'm going with Jason. Okay. Um, well, it's hard to segue into the next show from that. But you heard uh, Adam earlier on the Wizards podcast. Well, he and his and my good friend Jeff both used to work at Disneyland or Disneyland theme parks, and they had the Two Goofs podcast here on the Retro Network talking about their experiences. Uh, they concluded that podcast a while back, but as a favor, I guess maybe I could say to me, I approached him and said, hey, how about you come on to the Halloween special and tell some stories about Halloween at the theme parks? Mm-hmm. So what you're about to hear now are different tales of their experiences with Halloween at the Disney theme parks. Also, the Not Scary Farms theme park attraction thing they do every year as well.
Greetings, Goofsters, and hey there, TRN listeners. Yes, we are the two goofs, a uh, yuck, pumpkins. Because <laughs> that's what we think about this time of year, just the pumpkins. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't remember what the Two Goofs podcast is, we kind of slid in under the radar where the Retro Network just started sharing our older episodes, our back catalog, if you will. We talked about our history as costumed characters working at the Disney parks in California and all the adventures that went along with that behind the scenes and historic events that we witnessed. Uh, Jeff, much more so than I, so definitely <laughs> find that on the Retro Network feed. It's very, very fun, those stories here. But uh, Mickey reached out to us and said, hey, why don't you guys do a segment on our Halloween special this year? We said, yeah, we could talk on a mic. <laughs> That's our thing, right? We didn't get too deep into Halloween, but I think what Mickey was most interested in is our memories of Halloween at the Disney theme parks that we worked at. And if we can recall anything that was going on back in the day that made that time of year spooky or special or any events that we were aware of, whether or not we participated, but we may have seen, you know, a little bit of evidence of them. So, Jeff, when you think of October in California, California, when yeah. you think of the Halloween season at Disneyland, what comes to mind for you? The big thing in, especially in Southern California in October, was always Knott's Scary Farm. Is Knott's yeah. Berry Farm way outdid Disneyland for Halloween type stuff, but a large number of Disney characters would actually go over there to be ghosts and ghouls and whatever at Not Scary Farm. So it wasn't directly Disney related, but maybe Disney adjacent. You know, and eventually yeah. Hollywood Horror Nights, right, at Universal Studios. So, so that was definitely like, if you wanted the scares, Disneyland was not the place to go. <laughs> you were yeah. not going to find of there you were gonna find a lot of pumpkins in the shape of mickey mouse and some events that they would do like after hours later in the evening obviously because you wanted you know that whole experience of the, the darkness there and i know that's like really expanded like my wife's uh friend it loves disney and so like you know she is a single woman in her 40s and disneyland is her thing so she goes out there with her girlfriends and they party it up for every halloween in november a few years back and we just came by for a visit and she had the most gigantic bag of candy i was like why do you have that candy still you didn't get any trick-or-treaters she said no that's mine from disneyland wow. <laughs> so i mean it was I mean, literally you could trick-or-treat at disneyland these days and i think there was some element of that uh back in our time like i remember seeing you know the actual decorations go up like i say the, the mickey mouse pumpkins and things like that but i don't know that i was ever tapped for you know hey could you work this halloween event in character did you ever hear about anything Thing like that well i feel, see i guess i remember you talked about minnie's moodlight madness and i guess i always associated that with kind of the end of the the summer so like the fall type season mm -hmm. But I, I feel like there was maybe another Minnie's, like, trick-or-treat or, or something. Yeah, it, I, th I think it was called, like, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween. Is what okay. it, it literally said, we're not going to be scary. Bring your kids. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ursula is not going to chase them around Main Street, you know? One thing, I did look up on YouTube if there was any footage of, like, the events from the era that we were at the park. And I only found stuff for Paris and Disney World and the mm. Magic Kingdom there. But I did see the guests arriving in costume. So, you know, like, the big no-no nowadays is you can't, like, get a full-on cosplay going and show up to the park as a princess because you're going to confuse right. the kids. So those people do all, like... You know, the tricky costumes, the undercover costumes that are just pieces of clothing that are in the right pattern, you know, <laughs> but they look like as part of the Halloween event, you could wear costumes, including Disney character costumes to the event at that time, especially just the 2001 uh, footage I found. So I was like, that's pretty neat. Like that, that would be something it feels like they might even have a costume contest at that time. But so, yeah, the Minnie's Moonlight Madness, that was more like a competition scavenger hunt type thing so there was that side of things that i just yeah i never got a report on and never said oh you're gonna want to work this i don't know if it was a special events team type of situation or just uh you know there's some people put their bid in and they said hey i want to do that every year and so it was kind of spoken for but the thing I do remember changing at the park, which was brand new during my uh, first year of working at Disneyland, was the Haunted Mansion holiday. Right. The, so the whole Nightmare Before Christmas makeover that they added to the Haunted Mansion, that was brand new in 2001. And I was like, wow. I like I just remember walking by and be like, what did they just do? There's a giant Jack Skellington out there? Like, what is this? Do you remember the rumblings of that coming together? Like, is that something that you were looking forward to experiencing? Um, I don't know about that. Like, I I was never a huge Nightmare Before Christmas fan, but I do remember that that I mean, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Haunted Mansion never changed. And the same thing, like, I don't think that Small World changing for Christmas, I feel like that was a change as well, like a seasonal thing that hadn't always happened. Uh, it felt like the Country Bear Jamboree was the only one I remember that always changed for the seasons. So now having a ride that changed for the season was a huge deal. And I remember there was lines, and I seem to recall at some point there actually being a Jack Skellington costumed character which i found terrifying and not only that he's not really proportionate you know he's got i think he was on stilts or something like that to make him look very bony and and, and stuff uh but yeah i certainly never did that but i i remember i remember hearing about it yeah, well, it's it's funny you say that because I actually have a friend, you know, several years back that he's a balding man, so he just shaves it all. He just does the clean-shaven, you know, Vin Diesel look. And so his Halloween costume that year was Jack Skellington because he's like, I've already got a big, smooth, round head. I'll just paint my head <laughs> white, you know? But yeah, like, to me, like, it was kind of, I could understand why for us it would not have stood out quite as much because we were literally dressing up for a job every day. <laughs> That's true. So, so it's not like, oh, I, you know, I get to be this character. Because it's like, well, I get to be that character tomorrow. The day after Halloween, I'm scheduled in Toontown, you know? At the same time, like, it was an exciting idea. Because what I always look forward to, why I always wanted to work a special event, was to get into a rare costume. Mm. And I know that occasionally, like, every once in a while... When we were more active on the Disney Twitter side of things, there would be these special events. They would have a, a 90s night at Disneyland. So then they would break out like the DuckTales characters. They would have Max there, you know, all these different characters that maybe had not gotten the spotlight for a while, Darkwing Duck and whoever. So like, that's what I would always look for an opportunity to be a 
part of one of those things. But again, I, I never got the call uh, to, mm-hmm. to be there for Halloween. But I will say this, just a couple months back, you know, I'm on my regular Goodwill thrift store runs and I found a pattern for Disney Halloween costumes from the 80s. So I found one that was Minnie and Mickey. It was both of those. And then the other one was Donald. Mm. So I, I, I teased my wife. I was just like, come on, break out that sewing machine. So I could literally be a bootleg goofy. Sure. <laughs> And return to form, but maybe next year, because we were talking about hopefully getting back to the park next year. And then maybe as part of that, the kids' enthusiasm will be high and then we'll have a Disney Halloween. But have you had any excitement in the world of Halloween as we're closing out here? As you get closer to the date, are your kids picking their costumes? Do you know, is there there any Disney on the horizon on that front? Uh, More than likely. And my daughter has gotten really into Encanto. So she's gone back and forth. Uh, she Her favorite character is Louisa, the strong girl, as she mm. calls her. So we're trying to figure out how to make a Louisa costume, especially because she says she has to be carrying donkeys. So we <laughs> find some donkeys for her to carry. And then my son's still the Star Wars fan, so he says he wants to be R2-D2, which, yeah, my wife is not looking forward to figuring out how to make that. Uh, I feel like you just rivet some suspenders to a trash can. Because her thing is she wants it still to look good and not just like janky. Like, hey, I just spray painted this this, uh, can or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, my my kids are all video game characters this year. I feel like just a matter of time before, uh, you know, we actually have Disney owning Nintendo, too. So, you know, just eventually it'll all be Disney. It will be in the Disney planet, the Disney world, literally. You know, we'll all live in Epcot-shaped houses, that dome. But, yeah, so there you go. Our, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to call it, our scattershot memories of a Disney Halloween <laughs> in many different forms. But, you know, while we're here, Jeff, the two goofs is kind of happens when it happens. We're hoping to uh, find some of our friends who worked there for more years than we did, who have moved on and maybe do an interview series down the line and, and bring it back. But in the meantime, we're kind of busy in different projects with our own personal obsessions. So uh, what's your latest <laughs> project uh, in the world of podcasts? in case people aren't aware of it. Sure, yeah. So uh, me and my buddy Greg have a podcast that is entering season two of Trekology. So if you are interested in all things Star Trek or mostly discussions related to the Star Trek universe, then you can look us up on uh, most streaming platforms. Adam has cameoed on that one as well. So we are going to be debuting season two probably sometime this month. All right. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So something to look forward here at the end of the year. And of course, you know where to find me, guys. If you're a Retro Network subscriber and listener, of course, I'm on Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the TRN TV YouTube series, Thrift Store Horde. And we are trying to bring back Rental Return, Tales from the Video Store for season three. Had some technical issues, but we have all of the interviewees lined up. So that is going to be some awesome, nostalgic, behind the scenes looks at the interview workings of a video store so that is one more thing to look forward to as you get towards the end of the year but so much to enjoy so much fun and uh, we hope you have a happy and safe halloween oh yuck candy (laughs) pumpkins candy (laughs) yep (laughs) 
That was a really fun segment. I actually was just at Six Flags last month on the first Saturday that they did Fright Fest. And so I got all of the spooky decorations. And right as we were leaving, it was just about dusk. They brought out the crazies, like all these people walking around. There was a guy with his face kind of painted like a zombie that was dragging a shovel. And you had all these little spooky witch people and they would do it. There's a a couple places where you go through this almost like a tunnel and they usually have greenery on either side, but it was all kind of straw or browned out now. And they had smoke machines in there. So as you walk into the tunnel, you can't see a thing. And then you got these witches (laughs) popping up at you and things. It was, uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, they always do it pretty good, the uh, the Fright Fest there at Six Flags. But never been to Disney during Halloween. Oh, I've never been to Disney, period, let alone Halloween. Oh, man, so, man. <laughs> uh, no, we got Dollywood. We don't need Disney. We're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's. We've got our own Matterhorn Mountains down here. <laughs> I was going to say, does she dress as Elvira? That would be interesting. Uh, that would be interesting, actually. <laughs> well... Uh, time for more retro rumbles. Again, some of these segues are hard to do, folks. I'm working here. But since uh, Disneyland is full of costumed characters, that leads us into our next one from our good friend, Tony Great. Uh, wants to know, did we prefer Collegeville or Ben Cooper costumes? Okay, so explain to me the difference, really. Because I know, yeah, I know uh, <laughs> uh, Ben, um, whatever. Uh, they were the plastic masks with the rubber band, essentially, right? In the little mm-hmm. poncho. They both, were. They both produced <laughs> okay. the same types of stuff. Ben Cooper. You know, I guess it probably come down to who had what licenses. And that I couldn't tell you. I know a lot of what Ben Cooper had. I, I don't know what licenses Collegeville had. Well, which uh, costumes did you have? Do you remember having any of those style costumes? I really don't think I ever had any of either. Okay. Uh, because... Um, you know, it's really weird. I can only remember one Halloween costume in my life and it was a convict and it, it was something off the shelf from Kmart. It wasn't in a box like Ben Cooper. Um, but I do know from doing a lot of eBay research and stuff on Ben Cooper, they held all the major licenses. Okay. Um, you know, your He-Man and Skeletor, GI Joe, uh, that's the big licenses. I think Collegeville, I think I've seen in a thrift store in old, um, shirt tails costume from collegeville mm. and it was made the same way so okay never having either i'm just gonna pick ben cooper because i'm more familiar with it okay that was probably the one that i'll lean towards because the only one that i remember having was the gi joe one that was i guess the grunt character just more of the generic gi joe character with the green helmet and that it had the uh, gi joe logo i think on the on the poncho, <laughs> but I do remember having that one Halloween. So hmm. yeah, that we'll go with that then. And our next rumble was supplied by Jason here himself. And this is a big one, folks. It's our first three-way battle. Frankenberry versus Boo Berry uh, yes. versus Count Chocula. I was hoping this would come up, would come up because uh, earlier I was going to say, if I'm, uh, we're talking Dracula versus Frankenstein, I'm leaning towards, Frankenberry versus uh, <laughs> Count Chocula. But yeah, I don't know. I've always been more of the uh, 
fruity cereals, a fan of those fruity pebbles and tricks and, you know, those type cereals growing up. And so I, it's, it's a toss up between Frankenberry and Booberry, but I would probably say Frankenberry is my number one. I seem to recall, and I don't know why, that the cereals used to taste different when they were on the shelves all the time when we were younger than they do now. I think they've lost some of the sweetness. Mm-hmm. Modern pick, I got to go with Count Chocula. Years ago, I would have picked Frankenberry or Booberry, but these days, and even the new Fruit Brute to come out this year, they just seem to lose their flavor very quickly in milk. Mm-hmm. Count Chocula seems to last longer. Maybe it's because the, the milk is chocolatey. I don't know, but uh, character-wise, I, I prefer Booberry. But just for eating a bowl of cereal, just give me the Count Chocula. Okay. I have a box of fruit brood I have yet to open. Uh, just trying to eat up everything else before I get to that. I was kind of saving it, but uh, th- that's uh, cherry. And then the the yummy mummy was, I think, orange, right? right. Yep, for the other characters. So right. strawberry, I'm, strawberry and blueberry are kind of my favorites for, you know, whatever flavors. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with Frankenberry. And I had my first taste of Fruit Brute in my life this year with the re-release. I still pick Count Chocolate. I still pick all three over the Fruit Brute. Okay. I mean, the, it just there was nothing really special about it other than the, uh, the nostalgia aspect and the fact like, oh, my gosh, it's one I've never had. <laughs> so, <laughs> other than that, after that was gone, it, it just had nothing left for me. Oh, and here's a little teaser while I'm remembering. So last year they put out the uh, action figures for Count mm-hmm. Chocula and Frankenberry. I've had them collecting dust on my shelf for an entire year, have not got them out of the box. So I'm going to try to get them out of the box here soon and show them off over there on Rediscover the 80s. Oh, wow. Good deal. Well, uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, it's been quite a while since we had an episode of the House Show podcast. For those of you unfamiliar, the House Show podcast started during – uh, the COVID lockdown, three good friends got together who enjoyed watching wrestling together and started reviewing old wrestling shows, namely uh, the In Your House series. And then they went on to uh, Clash of Champions and some other stuff. The Haunted well, House show. They did the, the Halloween House show. Yeah. Halloween Havoc. They did that for a run, too. Yep. Yeah. If that interests you, you can dig that up on your podcast player of choice. Just search the House Show or the Retro Network and look for the season of the Haunted House show, looking at Halloween Havocs. But uh, not all the crew made it back, but Kevin did, and joined by Adam, who seems to be all over this podcast, (laughs) as they look back and reminisce about the run of the Misfits in late 90s WCW wrestling. The Misfits, perfect fit for the Halloween season. Not so sure they were a perfect fit for professional wrestling. Let's see if Adam and Kevin can change my mind. Hello everyone, it's Halloween time and you know what that means. Yes, it's another episode of The House Show, Back from the Dead. Not not quite. So The House Show was probably buried and not that there was a press release, but my solo show is buried for now as well. However, to take a look into the past, I have my good friend, one of the stars of the Retro Network, Mr. Adam Pope here to talk about something that interests 
both of us. No, no, no. Not him going through wizard magazines for articles and me going through for bad girls. No, that's that's another thing. But in a Venn diagram, I have said for years and years and years that I think rock and roll and wrestling very much overlap in such a thing. And we're going to talk about one of those today and specifically one with a rather Halloween theme as well. So today on this house show extra, house show epilogue, return of the house show, son of the house show, whatever, we, <laughs> Mr. Adam and I are going to discuss the misfits in WCW, not the misfits in action. There's a whole other thing, but the rock punk band, the misfits and their brief foray into WCW. And Adam, I am thrilled to go through this with you. Yeah, I'm just over here eating my car sushi. Uh-oh. Oh, oh man, he treats. Uh, he's not going to like that. I'm stepping on his gimmick. No, because, yeah, I missed the house show. I enjoyed your chemistry there, so I brought this up to you. I said, Kevin, can we please talk wrestling? Can we please talk music? Let's do it all together. And so uh, this is something for me that was very exciting because my friends and I started watching, like, WCW Monday Nitro together, like, around 19. 1997, but my friends graduated. They were a couple years older than me. And then I started hanging out with the metalheads of our school, with whom I eventually started a band after they introduced me to groups like Kiss and the Misfits and Ozzy Osbourne and all that. So I became obsessed with those bands. And then just imagine my surprise when those two worlds collided on Nitro. And I'm just like, what? Unbelievable to me. Just a quick history for those who don't know the band. They were originally started by Glenn Danzig with Jerry Only in the late 70s, and they were like a punk band, and they sang songs inspired by horror movies, but with very crass lyrics, like, I got something to say, I just killed your baby today. That's an opening line. Like, they would have been shocking in any era, like, but especially back then. But they had, like, a very goth-like stage presence. Their logo was this skull of this character called the Crimson Ghost from these old serials. Like, everything about them was horror. And so they did, they had just had that influence. But Doyle, who was Jerry's brother, joined the band as the guitarist in the early 80s, and then they quickly broke up around 83. Danzig went solo, and a lot of people know his song Mother, but then the two brothers were in court with him for over a decade trying to get the rights to record and tour using the Misfits name because Danzig's like, that's the past. I don't want to do it anymore. And so in the early 90s, they came to an agreement. They reformed the band as just Misfits, no the, and with a guy named Michael Graves on vocals, Dr. Chud on drums, but they had like full production values. They wore the makeup so they looked like Frankenstein monsters or skeleton face or not as far as they weren't wearing prosthetics, but they just kind of had that goth punk makeup edge. And so they recorded a new album in 97 called American Psycho, and then a follow-up in 1999 called Famous Monsters, which is a top three all-time album for me. I love it so much. And that is exactly this time period. Famous Monsters had just come out. They were touring. Michael Graves became my favorite rock frontman. I saw them live five times in this era between 1999 and 2000 on their Famous Monsters tour, and they added a wrestling element to it, which I will talk about in a little bit. Their actual stage show involved the wrestling, but it's kind of interesting because this was all going on in their world, but meanwhile in WCW, you got this guy named Vampiro. Tell us a little bit about Vampiro, Kevin. Oh, there was so much going on this time in WCW. These appearances we're talking about are 99 into the start of 2000. If anyone listens to this and wants to see some of these episodes and do a watch-along, 
on Peacock, WCW is a mess, but Vampiro was one of the highlights of it. I thought I freaking loved Vampiro. Vampiro's story was he was in Canada. He, you know, he wanted to be a wrestler. He messed around with music and everything too, just trying to make it. And he was into the whole goth look, you know, heavy metal, death metal ideas for it. And he started to incorporate that. I mean, his character is already called Vampiro in Mexico. Like clearly it's vampire, <laughs> but he started to incorporate more of the face paint the leather the darkness to his gimmick yeah I, I always felt like if you guys remember another wcw wrestler raven he looked like well, raven with face paint in a lot of ways and, and that's interesting because when vampiro made the jump to wcw for a short time he and raven were teamed up and they partnered these guys up with the insane clown posse shaggy two dope and violent J, as the dark carnival now, um, speaking of which, though, just real quick, like the mixing of rock and rap, Kiss had also the year before when their Psycho Circus album came out in 98, they sponsored a wrestler. And a his initial appearance, I believe Kiss appeared live to play him out. And right. it was to God of Thunder. And then this guy named The Demon came out dressed as like a super buff and tall Gene Simmons. And he lost every match he, he ever mm -hmm. wrestled. And it was the worst branding. You know, the Kiss fan in me was so disappointed. I was like, yes. Oh, no. Like Insane Cloud Posse, they were actual wrestling fans that had done backyard wrestling. I wouldn't say ICP is like classically trained wrestlers. <laughs> However, I will say they're much more trained than any of the misfits were. Yes. One night, Vampiro knows the misfits are playing a gig at the venue across the street. So he just goes across the street and says, hey, I'm a big fan. You want to come over and be on our nationally televised wrestling show? And thus began the ridiculous two-month-long saga of the misfits at WCW. Because they debuted the day after Halloween. This was a match between Vampiro and Berlin. That's Berlin mm -hmm. with a Y, not an I. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Vampiro Berlin they're just having a standard match but then the misfits creep out and there's four of them so they all basically go to one ring post and they're crouching down below as if they're hiding they don't want Berlin to know they're there there's some great lines in here too Tony Schiavone points out I thought Halloween was yesterday Bobby the Brain Heenan says that the misfits go trick-or-treating as humans I popped <laughs> for that one that was great but ultimately the misfits do interfere they do get involved so berlin has a bodyguard who eventually gets rebranded as the wall and he is interfering in the match himself but when he goes to bounce off the rope doyle reaches up pulls down the top rope and the bodyguard flips and then he ends up below then vampiro comes out and gives him a chair shot on the yep. head and then berlin has vampiro up for some sort of slam and jerry swipes his leg out from under him and so vampiro gets the pin now years ago wwe did a terrible gimmick called uh, the guest host the guest manager of the night Hugh Jackman is one at one point <laughs> um, you know William Shatner like a long list of people and some of them understood wrestling and would want to play around a little bit so the Misfits coming out doing this all right, you weren't perfect. You made some mistakes. You kind of didn't know where you were, you know, in a couple moments, but you did okay overall. 
And if that was it, it would have been fine. It would have been a cute little story of the time the Misfits showed up on wrestling. Unfortunately, I think Jerry especially got the itch. You hear a crowd cheering for you, right? A big crowd, too. Like, Nitro was still hot. Yeah, because it should be said that although the Misfits have a legacy, every time I saw them, it was like, you know, maybe 300-seat hall. These are not big venues they played. The WCW ones are thousands. Plus, if you look at Doyle and Jerry, they are obviously guys that spend a lot of time in the gym. They have wrestler physiques. It works like in the second match, which is Vampiro versus Buff Bagwell. I just love that booking cracks me up. But the Misfits just come out and jump Buff before the match as he's coming down the ramp. So they're just stomping on him. They're beating him up. And then ultimately they get to the match and Buff and Vampiro square off. And then Berlin comes in and he interferes, just keeping their feud going. And then... The misfits all get taken down by the bodyguard. Like they all charge him and he just like pushes them all back. <laughs> they are good for nothing. Moving on to the next thing. So then we have Vampiro versus Berlin again. To be fair, Berlin kind of looks like a vampire of some sort as well. Like some, I'll you know, you punk. But again, the wall gets into the ring. You know, the misfits attack him and he takes them all down at once. But then one by one, he takes takes them out specifically choke slamming Jerry and Dr. Chud. That's the first like real wrestling move that they are involved in is taking a choke slam. It's a big choke slam too. Yeah. Like the wall's got to be six, six, you know, maybe a little bigger. He's well over 300 pounds, probably around 350. It is a big choke slam, but he's brand new as well. Like he, he was new to WCW. Misfits are brand new. That landing is really, really nasty. And I don't know who's at fault here. <laughs> yeah, now I have to wonder if he went on the road with the Misfits because there is an element of their show that I, when I was seeing them in concert during this time, when they would come to California, I would just go up and down the coast and follow them, see as many shows as I could in the, within a few hours of me. They started having a Frankenstein monster, a full costumed Frankenstein monster, giant dude come out and attack them in the middle of a song. And Michael Graves would give him a chair shot and then Frankenstein would choke slam Michael Graves on stage. And then the Crimson Ghost, who is this costume character with a big skull mask and a red robe would come out with a torch and he would scare Frankenstein off the stage. So like they were all in on their wrestling angle and having the synergy going on. But I was like, was that the wall was he traveling on the tour bus we need you come around <laughs> but when you talk about the random booking they had two shows a week wcw they had monday nitro and then on thursdays they had thunder and that was thunder was the b team you know like that that wasn't Very the high level stuff the B yeah. team show like like wrestling fans like me didn't even bother with thunder this one is vampiro but now jerry only is kind of his manager it's only jerry only and he is facing off against ming if you don't know ming he is a big polynesian fella and jerry keeps interfering and it feels like it was not discussed with ming because ming is not very happy about it jerry keeps kind of like swiping at him planned and ming's like ah knock it off well, at the end of the match Mang gives Jerry a very long Tongan death grip, which is like his signature move. Was he actually doing something to Jerry? You know what I'm saying? You got to learn your place. So if you ask any wrestler from 80s and 90s, who's the toughest guy in real life, they all say Ming. 
And Ming used to be known as Haku in WWF. Same guy for people that don't know. Mm-hmm. But he overall laid back, you know, don't mess with me, I'll mess with you. I'm here to do my job. But if you tick him off, you're done. Yeah, there's no way Jerry only understood the danger he Not was in. A chance. <laughs> so then, but because of wrestling the way it is and certain people the way they are, did they purposely do this to Jerry only? Hey, like there is no reason for Vampiro and Meng to have a match. Exactly. None. But it's like, well, let's put Jerry only out there. We need to put him in his place. And so he'll take off Meng, it'll take care of itself, and it'll all look like an accident, and we're all clean. There are interviews with Vampiro that he talks about Jerry being very overzealous about involving himself in the business and deciding to become a wrestler, which uh, you have to pay your dues. If you listen to any type of wrestling podcast, you know, you got a long way to go. And there are a lot of backstage traditions and respect you have to pay to veterans and things you need to understand. And apparently Jerry got a lot of heat because he was like hugging guys. And he was just like constantly calling the the people at the front office, like all the creatives being like, hey, I want to do this. Let's do this angle. I got an idea. And they're just like, who are you? Why do you think you could do this? So he was like disliked immediately once he decided that he was going to get involved in some in-ring action. And it's coming across more excited and clueless as opposed to manipulative. Oh, yeah. Now, it should be said that also by putting the tongue and death grip on Jerry only, Ming was disqualified and lost that match. Mm. And it happens again in a different way in this next match. Vampiro versus the wall now, the bodyguard. At a certain point, the wall ends up outside. Misfits gang up on him. He pushes them away, as always. But then Jerry only, he just starts calling out Dr. Death Steve Williams, who had just randomly come to ringside, so obviously to set up a feud. And he's calling him out. So Steve Williams comes in and he starts laying out the misfits. Now the misfits are getting chucked around, especially he lifts up the singer Michael Graves over his head and chucks him into Doyle and Dr. Chud's arms. I mean, that guy is dangerous. Like you're saying, this is something that probably should not have happened. No, there's so much. Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo came over from WWE at the same time and they claimed that it was them that created the Attitude Era. Nothing to do with Vince McMahon or Stone Cold or The Rock or anyone else involved it was just them and they will bring the same sense of rating success to wcw so ed ferrara in the meantime decides to do this jim ross parody character called oklahoma yes (laughs) he even squints up his eye and contorts his face to mock jim ross's real life bout with bell's palsy only at the beginning and then somebody told him to back off i think because as it progresses off and he claimed that the barbecue sauce that the misfits dump on him in a leg dare segment (laughs) cured him the miracle (laughs) cure of barbecue sauce wow it's kind of like the peanut butter solution but for barbecue sauce and wrestling So Oklahoma is horrible on the mic. The whole point is to mock JR not to actually get anything in the match or any wrestler or anything other than himself over. And it's it's really bad to watch. I did chuckle, however, when he called Jerry only alfalfa. I gotta admit it. Yeah, because Jerry only, for those who don't know, they have this thing called the devil lock. You comb all your hair forward and then you gel it up into a spike that goes down the front of your face. A reverse alfalfa, if you will. So it's pretty great. And obviously, as soon as you have one little disagreement, 
moment, you have a cage match. And that you is have to. Jerry only to have his first full match in mm-hmm. WCW be in a cage shows how delusional he was about his wrestling abilities, about what professional wrestling was. He said that WCW made him sign his life away every time he got in the ring. Like, you know, he had to sign a form that said he was not going to sue because this was his decision. I think he got set up. There are several botched spots. You can see Dr. Death getting very upset that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. But at the same time, Jerry does do like a flying body press off the turnbuckle, which is pretty impressive. He nails it. But Vampiro and the other band members, like you said, during that match, they're on the outside. They grab Oklahoma. They're slathering him in barbecue sauce. They're doing all that. But Dr. Death is not pulling his punches much at all. And when he's slamming Jerry into the mat, and especially at the end, when he throws him headfirst through the cage door and the door is closed and he's kind of knocking it open with his head, he actually got a gash in his head. And Jerry said in an interview, he went backstage to get that taken care of asking for stitches and they're like well we don't have a doctor on staff he's like well just give me something they're like well we don't have medical supplies like that's not what this is about he couldn't believe it and so he actually tried to unionize the rustlers citing the screen actors guild he's like do you know what sag is you guys could all have benefits we'll set it up and that just like put a huge target on his back because that is not how the wrestling world operates All right, you want to punish Jerry only, but you want to do this gimmick too, and you're not going to have him pin Dr. Death because that would be absurd. So this is kind of like your best way out for booking. Each state is different. Each state athletic commission is different, but there was a doctor back there. There, there had to be. Yeah. Now, could I see them telling Jerry there isn't? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the whole point is to get him gone. And then he comes back with let's unionize, which if Jesse Ventura couldn't make it happen, and that's why he was blacklisted from WWE for a long time. Jerry only is not going to make it happen either. Which may be why for the next angle or continuing this feud with Oklahoma, he sneaks on to a match during Thunder and steals (laughs) Oklahoma's cowboy hat. So that is the impetus for a tag team match on Nitro the next week with Vampiro and Jerry only as a tag team versus Dr. Death and Oklahoma in a wrestling singlet. Mm -hmm. And he is wearing a headset during the match doing Mm -hmm. live commentary on his own match. And so Dr. Death, again, like he did with Michael Graves, who is much smaller than Jerry Only, at the end of this match, he lifts Jerry Only above his head for a long time. Like he walks around this the whole ring, like all the Jerry Only before he does a press slam. And then Jerry takes a chair shot from Oklahoma. So again, like Jerry is just like, do it all. You cannot get rid of this guy. He doesn't get it. There's got to be a little begrudging respect for all of this yeah and i'll give him credit but that does seem to be the breaking point for jerry only in terms of actually getting in the ring because there is a match on thunder following that where it is vampiro versus the artist formerly known (laughs) as prince iakea with his woman manager paisley i I forgot about this gimmick it's so (laughs) over the top ridiculous well it's kind of brilliant in a way too now originally he was just like a polynesian prince iakea right and then they second or third generation wrestler yep they they add it to be a prince artist formerly known as prince joke (laughs) 
he's do he's doing it well too. Yeah. Funny thing about this match, because again, Prince Ikea, Vampiro, just going at it. But what happens is, for some reason, Juventud Guerrera, Hoovy, is Hoovy. out there doing his play-by-play, and he's terrible. He's like, oh, these guys, these jabronis, what are they doing? Like, he's terrible at it. Yep. And then Oklahoma comes out, and yep. Oklahoma just decides he's going to start doing play-by-play, and Jerry Only is there also, so now they're feuding over commentary. Jerry Only is so out of his element, he doesn't know how to get a word in edgewise. They probably don't want to let him, but he keeps trying. He's trying to, like, come off as a heel manager, but it doesn't work. But Oklahoma, he accuses the misfits of playing the recorded music and then stealing all of their songs from Metallica and you hear Jerry only break. And I will tell you this, uh, Jerry actually did play on stage with Metallica in this era because they are huge Misfits fans. And one time while waiting for Jerry's autograph after a show, because I would always wait, he'd sign my ticket like he was super cool, but he was running out with a duffel bag and his sweats on. He's like, guys, guys, sorry, I can't do autographs. I got to catch a flight. I'm meeting with James Hetfield. We're going to be doing a concert. So I'll, I'll check you later. Next show, next show. And I was like, whoa. And then I saw the news, you know, a couple weeks later that he was on stage with Metallica. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Well, I mean, earlier in the year, uh, Metallica had the Garage Inc. album come out. Yes. With Die Die My Darling on it. Mm-hmm. And Green Hell, I think, also. But yeah, so this is a, a moment where Jerry is fading out because his last appearance is on Nitro. You have the Vampiro and the Misfits just hanging out backstage and this like crazy goth girl named Daphne, who's yeah. like this lunatic. And I loved Daphne. She was so much fun. Walks up to them and she basically kind of starts flirting with Jerry only. And he's like, oh, you like that? Yeah, yeah. And then she grabs him, knees him in the groin, and then bites his nose. And this is a segment that I remembered most. This is like the epitome of their run for me. I just remember, because in my my memory the blood was gushing out like when the penguin bites that guy's nose and batman returns mm. that's not what happens but that i conflated the two because i was just like oh remember when daphne bit his nose and he bled all over and then that was the last we saw of any of the band in wcw and this was the 20th of december in 1999 vampire does have the misfits patch on the back of his jacket the logo he does have the armband on the february 14th nitro uh he comes out to interfere in a match and he has the same jacket on but you can see that they have blacked out the misfits logo on his jacket now as we wrap up here even though the misfits run in wcw was short it did have a lasting effect on wcw and the misfits because Doyle, Jerry's brother, fell in love with Randy Savage's girlfriend, Gorgeous George, and she ran off with Doyle, and they were married for 12 years. Really? Yes. I so did not know that part. Yes. So that was like major heat. Of course, the Misfits would never be back in WCW. <laughs> Wait, where, where does she get the name George Frankenstein from? So Doyle quits the Misfits. Jerry basically chases everybody else out of the band. This is my empire. You got to do it my way or the highway. So Michael Graves leaves. Dr. Chud leaves. And then his own brother, Doyle, quits the band. And Jerry carries on to this day with random guitar players and drummers from other bands like it and he sings and it's terrible jerry 
only, just kill the misfits, please. <laughs> Unless you're going to hire another good singer. But Doyle forms a band with George called Gorgeous Frankenstein. Because he his full stage name is Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. And so she becomes Gorgeous Frankenstein. She doesn't sing or play an instrument. She just pole dances on stage, which was her profession prior to Randy Savage bringing her into pro wrestling. So she just goes back to what she knew. Unfortunately, it was not a very good band. It's crazy between the members of the Misfits and the craziness that is professional wrestling that Glenn Danzig ends up being the most normal person in the story. (laughs) But Kevin, thank you so much for letting me go through this. I don't get to talk about the Misfits anywhere because I didn't watch every single match back in the day, you know, so to finally have seen them all, it just, it fills a hole. So thank you so much. And thank you, Adam. And I mean, I love wrestling. I love comics. And, you know, what I don't have out there in my reviews and podcasts and stuff as much is I love heavy metal as well you know all the subgenres all the craziness all the and i absolutely think there's a link between all these it's a bunch of guys being crazy putting on colorful tights that's all three of these things here you know yep. so of course i'm gonna enjoy it so i enjoy the hell out of talking about it with you and learning a bunch of stuff too here for it yeah there's so much so much more we could get into and we did kevin and i talked for another 20 minutes all about this stuff so the full version of our conversation is going to be released on the house show podcast feed of course kevin and i will both be sharing it to our social medias for those of you who want to get the full experience but i think we've taken up enough time because these people have to get out there and do some trick-or-treating or at least throw some candy at the kids so i guess we will bid you all a happy halloween All right. Well, that kind of wraps up our segments there. Some uh, great stories, great uh, lists put together. And uh, man, this was really fun, but we're not done yet. We still got some more retro rumbles. And I saved some of the best for last. Actually, the best is the last one. But before we get to that, Brian Cave, old school evil, wants to know, do we prefer homemade costumes or (laughs) store-bought? I had a bad experience with homemade costumes. Really? <laughs> I don't know if I've told this story or not before, but one year we, we do a, uh, or there had been a Halloween parade in our, my little hometown in Pennsylvania for the longest time. And I guess one year mom thought, we're going to go for it, man. <laughs> we're going to win, you know, the best costume, whatever. Cause you, you basically walk through the parade and there was judges somewhere at a table and picking out the you know the best costumes so she i don't know if she put together the whole thing i'm I'm pretty sure she had help it was a lion costume and just a i don't know i guess you could think of uh the (laughs) the uh the lion in madagascar you know kind of that (laughs) big furry mane up front but my my breathing holes for my nose and my mouth were super small and the thing was so hot inside the this big <laughs> mask and uh i had the the kind of furry bodysuit as well 
And I was just miserable the whole night. And you're walking, you're sweating and sweating profusely, <laughs> trying to breathe. I'm lifting up the, the, the mask, you know, to breathe every once in a while. And of course we didn't place. So that was just kind of a bust. So I think probably from, from there on out and, and kind of leaning up to there, it was mainly all about the store-bought costumes. And, you know, I said earlier, I don't remember hardly any of my costumes, so I don't know what we've done. But I can say as a parent, I greatly preferred the store-bought ones because it was a lot less effort. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. You know, Mick Foley once talked in his book about not wanting his kids to look like a doofus because his son wanted to wear a Batman cape and cow with cowboy boots and shorts. And (laughs) he refused because he didn't want him to look like a doofus. I can, you know, kind of the same way with me as a parent. I'm like, I. I can have all these great visions of a great costume and it's not going to turn out that way. My kid would look like a doofus. So let's just go buy something at the store. <laughs> well, you've got girls too. So they want to do like the full makeup, right? And all that stuff. Yeah. But you know, my oldest is a big horror movie fan. She was always, you know, wanting the whole zombie treatment and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So we've done that mm-hmm. a few times, but <laughs> in our final rumble is the biggest one yet. Garfield's Halloween Adventure versus It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Before you answer, you plug something from RD80s earlier over at RetroRamblings.com from the time you hear this a couple weeks ago. uh, Complete 1985 debut on CBS of Garfield's Halloween Adventure and followed by It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown with all the original 1985 commercials intact. Go watch that. It's 58 minutes of time that mm. be very well spent so <laughs> now who submitted this i don't think you mentioned that oh i'm sorry this is another one from gary he's the only one that made it with two on the list tonight gary did okay i'm gonna have to talk it out because i i don't know they're they're so close <laughs> to me and i usually lead off the halloween season and specials with uh the great pumpkin charlie brown um, but it's usually like the next night that we're on the hollow uh, on the Garfield and the Halloween adventure. And this year, I think we did reverse. I think we actually watched Garfield first and then we watched uh, Charlie Brown. But um, I, I don't know. I guess uh, for this year, <laughs> I'll say Garfield. <laughs> I'll say Garfield. I, uh, it's so much fun. I love the music, the songs when he's trying on the costumes uh, and uh, just the the songs throughout the whole special. And it's just fun. Him and Odie going out and fooling with the local trick-or-treaters there, pulling their masks off and getting scared, running around. And then that whole spooky, you know, segment when they cross the river and you got the old man in the chair that vanishes. And then there's, spooky uh pirate ghosts that come up out of the water and they try to hide and you know it's uh it, it's it was spooky as a kid you know uh more spookier than charlie brown and i guess maybe that's why i i like it more but uh i don't know i i'd have to pull people in this house too to see because i'm not sure we we really love both of them so equally and it's like I said, I'll just give Garfield a notch, one notch higher this year, uh, having watched them recently than, uh, than Charlie Brown. But I do love Charlie Brown as well. So much about that one that's, that's really fun. Well, you mentioned uh, 
Garfield was scarier or whatever. I don't know, man. Uh, Linus reminds me of Jack Nicholson from The Shining and The Great Pumpkin. He's just flat out insane, <laughs> believing in The Great Pumpkin and th- that whole theory. Uh, uh, confession here from a nostalgia holic: I have only watched The Great Pumpkin once in my life, and that was what? last. And that was last year. First time I'd ever watched. It. How? How? I, I'm just not a big Peanuts fan. I mean, I like the Christmas one. Uh, the old cartoon that used to be on Saturdays, at least in my neck of the woods. Maybe it was syndication at that point in the late 80s. I just wow. never cared for Charlie Brown. I liked the daily comic strip when Snoopy was the star, you know, several days in a row. Mm-hmm. But just never was a big Charlie Brown guy. And The Great Pumpkin, I'd only watched once. I've probably only seen Garfield maybe three times uh, because wow, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Garfield Christmas episode mm-hmm. cartoon uh but that one just ranks so high that everything else kind of pales in comparison including his own halloween adventure so mm. if i have to pick one i'm picking garfield though okay wow yeah that's that's crazy i it was such a event back in the day and a, a lot of the christmas specials you know rudolph and all those as well the grinch um just appointment television the hype you know with amongst your friends and at school and i guess that's why i still love them and have to watch them each year because i i have that nostalgia of remembering appointment television Mm -hmm. um but yeah both of those are really i i don't know if i would outrank uh, any of the christmas specials over the halloween but i do love uh i love garfield's thanksgiving too my little girl asked about that after we watched uh the halloween adventure she's like can we watch the thanksgiving one now with the grandma and the the chainsaw not till next next month nope we've got plenty more halloween stuff to watch (laughs) so she remembered that and i do like that one but and i even love the charlie brown thanksgiving so yeah, it just goes hand in hand this time of year. You've got to, uh, I've got to watch both of those and they're equally good in my opinion. So, well, is there anything, is there any other Halloween specials that outrank those two this time of year for you? Yeah. I mean, one that might come close would be uh, legend of sleepy hollow, the original Disney, you know, animated, mm-hmm. um, that one, that one scared me as a kid. And and that one I've gone back and watched over the year. I don't watch that every season, but now we've got Disney Plus. I believe it's on there, and it we is. watched it uh, the last couple of years that we've had Disney Plus. So that's a bonus there. I love the Fat Albert Halloween special, yep. and I've only been able to find that on YouTube and a very poor quality one over the last several years. Uh, maybe they did improve it last year, but – that one uh, I remember enjoying as a kid as well. So that one's high up on the list. Um, that might be about it as far as like the top tier for me as far as Halloween specials go. Do you, do you have any others? Uh, oh. Paul Lind? Oh, yeah, I watch <laughs> yeah. it every year. Do you? Okay. But I'm just speaking of animated. For me, it was, it was always the Tom and Jerry TBS Funhouse Halloween special. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which is also on Retro Ramblings now in its complete form. After all these years of my life, I got a copy of the complete with commercials of that too, and it's on Retro Ramblings to watch. I just thought of another one that that came to mind from when I was a kid that's Halloween and live action. That was DTV's Monster Hits, Mm -hmm. which was a Disney, basically they spliced together Disney cartoons going all the way back to popular music of the time and so like when they played ghostbusters they had all of these ghost related cartoons playing in the background and then they had thriller on there and there was a whole awesome playlist uh the somebody's watching me and and all those songs of the time and just plugged in you know disney cartoons so it was pretty fun to watch i remember enjoying that as a kid and it was hosted by the the mirror on the wall from Snow White. I, I do remember that. And it, it had has popped up on YouTube over the years, but it's usually taken down pretty quickly. Well, because I just of all the it, licenses. I just watched it a week ago on Daily Motion and it's completely well, full. Yeah. Daily Motion seems to be like the anti YouTube. They just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why you can find stuff like the DTV's monster hits on Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Very fun. Well, this was great, man. We had a, a great special this year. Yeah, uh, it's one to remember, I'm sure. Um, no word yet on plans for a Christmas special like we've done year before last, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Keep your ears open and keep watching the RetroNetwork.com for updates on that. Right, and if you found this special in the TRN Presents feed, you can also find the 2020 Halloween special and the Christmas special in this feed. So if you want some more Halloween, just go back a few clicks here and, and check out the one we did uh, two years ago. But uh, yeah, just special thanks to all of everybody that contributed, especially Adam, since he was on just about every segment, but <laughs> the wizards podcast guide to comics, the house show box office, 30 two goofs and greatest lists all contributed to the special and uh, thanks to go thanks goes out to everybody who took the time to record those segments for us and of course you can connect with all of our shows just by going to the retronetwork.com slash podcasts and they're all listed out there you can click over and uh, or you can just search in your you know favorite podcast app for any of the shows that we mentioned tonight and our other show a very brady podcast who is now doing gilligan's island which has been really fun so they're also part of the network we want to include them uh, as we're mentioning all of our shows but i think that's it man unless you had something else no uh, that was it these things are always fun getting everybody in the network involved in one big project uh hope we can do it again next year Absolutely. I guess I'll uh, lead you back to the graveyard here and and put you down and uh, (laughs) hopefully uh, we'll have enough uh, retro power to resurrect you next year. You might can resurrect me at Christmas. You never know. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We sure do appreciate it. And uh, we will hopefully see you for Christmas. If not, maybe next year for Halloween.